0: Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that never tires of Stamford Bridge. Ah, oh, the joys of a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, God's chosen time for football. Uh, some of us, like me, had to leave at the crack of dawn to get up early for a Chelsea Supporters Trust meeting, but this allowed more time in the pub to meet up with the usual suspects in the cock, Great to see so many of you there. You all know who you are, including our fl- our friends and plagiarists from across the pond. Nick, Brandon and Dan from London is Blue. Uh, I- I'm only teasing you boys. It was great to catch up with you for the couple of weeks that you were here, of course. And also, they were with Yannick and George Benson and Andy Saunders from the Chels and Louis Beneventi and the 100% Chelsea mob. They were all there in the cock. It felt like a right Chelsea media lovey's corner. JK would have been absolutely completely at home had he been there, but there we go. Um, In truth, a home match against Brighton should be a foregone conclusion, but there was added tension as we awaited Frank's first Premier League win and that elusive clean sheet. Thanks to a cool Jorginho penalty and a typical Willian goal via a Hudson-Odoi assist, we got just that. With a slew of fixtures against sides like Brighton, who we would expect to beat, let's hope that this is the beginning of a home run which might help us assess how serious Chelsea's assault on a top-four finish might just be. The Chelsea fan cast number 474. Home run. There you go. Um, Okay, I shall be issuing prizes for those of you who can work out why I've called it home run, starting with... Of course, my ever-present sidekick on the Chelsea fancast, Mr. Jonathan Kidd.
3: Lovely to be here. Is it because um, uh, you're a baseball
0: fan? N- no, it isn't. But that is part of the uh, reference, in fact.
3: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, is it because we we were at home? Yes. And um, uh, you were late, so you had to run to the uh, to your seat.
0: No. No,
3: no, I'm I close.
0: But you're doing well. Is it animal, mineral or vegetable? I mean, basically, I kind of decided, I'm not going to demean Joe Tweedy's huge brain because Joe is on on, on the show tonight and I will introduce him properly in a minute. Very good. There's some very good, actually, there's some good responses coming from Mixler. I knew I'd rely on them. John Paul Guevara says, Pulisic struck out. That was the illusion, you see. Home run, bit of a baseball. We're at home. We won for the first time in the Premier League this season. Hopefully, we'll go it's on multi-layered. a yeah, it's we'll go on a run. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, of course, you know, onion. there's what? Come on, like an onion, like yes. an onion. You peel it
3: away, and it's got many, many layers to
0: it. Indeed, it has. It's multi-layered title today, and I, there is a bit of a not a dig, but a bit of a poking fun at the whole. Pulisic situation because everybody seems to have got their knickers in a twist about this poor young American who can't get into the side at the moment and, uh, you know, frankly stick to baseball. Uh, No, I'm only joking. Uh, I've actually decided not to completely and utterly script anything about the Pulisic situation in the show tonight because I don't want to give any oxygen to some of the buffoons that are getting their knickers in a twist about it, but of course loads of people have emailed in about it. So, of course, they will get their say on that matter. Now, enough of me prattling on. Uh, I need to introduce our, our most illustrious and fantastic Mr. Joe Tweets as our second guest on the show. Joe, brilliant having you on the show, as always, mate.
1: Yeah, cheers. Uh, glad to be on as always. Yes, lovely. It's
0: a shame I, I didn't. I was having a chat with Joe before we went on air, and uh, as as you may or may not know, Joe and I used to sit very close to each other in, in Gate Seventeen. And uh, I said, "Oh, when, you know, have you been here yet this season?" He said, "Oh, I was there on Saturday," and I, I couldn't believe I missed him. But uh, I would have would have seen him in the cock with. I mean, basically, London is blue. Were holding a. It was almost like meeting the Pope. They were having an audience with everybody on Sunday, and uh, Joe was supposed to be there. but I, So I missed him twice, but there you go. Never mind. Right, enough of me prattling on. Let's get on with the damn show. Right, on the show tonight, we celebrate our first home Premier League win and clean sheet, uh, and we try and figure out what's going on with penalties and applaud Jorginho for his Lazarus-like turnaround from villain to hero. In part two, we discuss why experience is still key. We worry about Kante. We look at Lampard's big six weeks coming up, and we ask everybody... Now, actually, this is what we ask. Everybody likes us. Do we care? As opposed to no one likes us. We don't care. It's all a bit weird at the moment. I want to get into that. Uh, and uh, we're going to have the parish notices in part two because um, they've got a slight schedule change. I have decreed, as I can do occasionally, because in part three, uh, we're going to read out the uh, the week's emails, largely because there are so many, largely because I think it's nice to get them up the order a bit because they're getting so good. Um, so there you go. So we've got emails in part three this week. And in part four, we're going to round up the show with a quick look back at the Caribou Cup win against Grimsby Town. And we're going to look ahead to Wednesday night's Champions League match against Lille. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at seven o'clock. Ah. I was going to say, Jonathan's asleep. He forgot to do his live. But every, never mind, I'll forgive him. It's live every Monday, uh, as in today. <laughs> Did you, you? Did. I, I I did you i didn't hear you i'll i'll count you in shall i anyway don't forget you can listen to the show one two three live, live. very good on monday at seven o'clock by going to mixler which is com forward slash chelsea hyphen fancast where of course you can join in the huge amount of chat that goes on on the live chat page there are so many of you in here tonight just to read a few of you rob coombe andrew self jabber crackers possibly my favorite name Albert II, uh, new to me, Tuber 4, Adam Finnegan, happy Two, Sean B, English Dan 7, the lovely Claire McConnell, Yaroslav Blue, Jonathan Perez, Oh, mate Jonathan, Jonathan, uh, Moniaki, Greg Gardner, By- Byron, Brian James, even Ashley Brainge, Chris Dalton, Appium Dulce, we have Latin people in the house tonight, how exciting. Uh, anyway, good to see you all in the Mixler as always, I look forward to your comments as I always do, I'm looking forward to tonight's going to be a cracking show and it will start properly right after this <laughs> So there we go. Um, I mean, you know, as I said, it was kind of a funny, you know, Jonathan and I did our little video bit, as uh, we like to do, largely so I can get a free cup of tea after the game, which is great, and avoid all the traffic, which is even greater. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, of course, as ever. Um, but I mean, all I, I mean, that I, 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 nothing, it, it seemed a bit of a kind of a, a a nothing kind of game, and I think half of that was because it comes after a walloping fun evening on Wednesday when we not, absolutely humped uh, Grimsby Town and all the youth got a chance. And then, of course, last weekend it was Liverpool, which was a proper, proper, intense, emotionally wrought match with controversy, etc., etc. But the reality is, JK, what, uh, you know, we got a home win, our first home win, massively important, but we also got a clean sheet. And it, it kind of occurred to me, what was more important, the home win or the clean sheet? Possibly answers itself, really, doesn't it?
3: Well, I, I, I thought the home win was uh, was essential um, and I just felt we should have won by five or six goals. We were so much in command of that. And then we had the worry uh, with for 10 minutes in the second half that we weren't going to get the clean sheet and they might even equalise. Um, but we were so in the ascendancy um, that it was all slightly embarrassing. And I, I, I kept thinking we, we should really put it, be putting sides like this to the sword, especially with the number of chances created. Um, there was some really good football being played. Just the finishing is... Leaves so much to be desired at the moment in this kind of situation, when we're still leaving these holes in, in the middle in the midfield, and um, which seem to happen to, when we we just still do get a bit tired. I can't, I think about it because we are pressing and playing so much, but it, it there are there are great moments of of, um, uh, of skill and um, and effort and speed, and they're clearly doing what Frank wants, and it's it's such a different atmosphere from last year oh my goodness me there is a joy to watching it that to, obviously we're going to talk about the grimsby game which was one of the most joyous experiences for for, for years but um uh, no I, I i'm i'm um uh I, I think the defense is slightly the worry for, for mainly because of the the impact that his, that his pressing game attempts to make because it just leaves these large Areas that are, are are unpatrolled by anybody, and I don't quite know how he deals
0: with that. Um, Wait, but, I'll, tell uh, uh, with it, like to... I'll tell you how he deals with it, jk tell you how he deals with it. Yeah, Kante comes back.
3: Well, indeed, indeed, because we I didn't mean, even you... mention the fact
0: well, he, we, we, he just disappeared. We, we are going to talk we, about. We, know we are going to. We are. We are oh. going to talk about Cante. You know, later. So I'll, I'll I'll keep my powder dry on that. But I, I yeah, you know, absolutely. what 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 I was curious about when we started uh, the match was that. Uh, was the midfield? Funnily enough, because I kind of did think, "Whoa, that's a bit interesting in the midfield," because we had Barkley clearly Indeed. in the midfield. Um, do you know what? I'm having an absolute brain fart. Let me just uh, let me just check because I can't remember actually who was in the flaming midfield now. Having like launched myself into a uh, you know a doodah about it. Yeah, we, we yeah. had yeah. Yeah, yeah we had Barkley. Barkley. Uh, I hate the. By the way, if you're listening, Chelsea FC, I hate your fifth stand app. Because you have to press on the bloody players, and I can't—I'm—I'm I'm too blind to figure out who they are. Yeah, it looked like Mount had gone kind of—you know—they were going four-three-three, so they had Barkley, Jorginho and Mount. And I thought, well, that's—that's that's, you know, a bit of a diversion away from having Kovacic and Jorginho there. Joe, what did you make of that? Because I thought that was a—it was a bit gung ho. But then again, we were playing Brighton, so why not?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're kind of used to sort of set roles in midfield. You've got your, your kind of designated holding player. You've got someone who's a bit more sort of combative on the right hand side, and then the guy on the left normally has a bit more, a bit more freedom to kind of roam, roam around. And I think that's something we've seen going all the way back to, to Mourinho and Ancelotti when they've had their their really successful sides. So to see a, a midfield packed with with kind of sort of two attacking midfielders with Barkley and, and Mount, and then kind of obviously the defense being shaded by someone who maybe isn't a, a pure holding player was was quite a big gamble but I, th- I think you know, largely we we controlled the game I mean I, I know we're going to talk about Jorginho in a second but you know JK's point about the, the kind of chasm of space that sort of appears sort of periodically throughout the game I think that's one of the maybe one of the, the drawbacks of playing sort of three players who, who maybe aren't as uh, let's say positionally sound um, you know in terms of in terms of like off the ball work so um, yeah I mean I think it's probably a, a move from Lampard to look at the the guys who are playing, I don't think you'll see us play, let's say, someone like City um, or, or anyone kind of, you know, approaching sort of a, a top quality side in the league with a midfield that, that has that kind of two and one, um, you know, kind of set up. But I think it, it largely works. You know, we, we control most of the game. Um, we obviously created a, a lot of chances, which I think maybe is is also Lampard's thinking that, you know, if we're going to concede goals, um, let's maybe try and get as many sort of attacking creative players on the pitch as possible and see just see how how many we can score, and then, then try and sort of take care of things on the other side. But certainly certainly an interesting setup, and I think probably you know going from from all the way back to when Mourinho started playing 4-3-3, and then all the way to to Sari last season. You know even Sari, who is you know uh, is is kind of you know perceived to be a more of a attacking or more of a, a kind of footballing um, sort of 4-3-3 that he played, he still had particularly in the right-century midfielder, he still had that guy who was a bit more of a ball winner, um, a bit more of a, a competitive player there. So to see two attacking players was, I think, quite a, quite an interesting move by Lampard.
0: Yeah, I, do, I mean, Joe, we haven't had a chance to talk, really, since it's all started to bed in a bit. And and I, and I know Jonathan, like me, in fact, actually, I shall I shall just let the listener know, you'll you probably hear less from me and Jonathan tonight than you have done for a long time on the fancast. whilst we just sit here and listen to the wisdom of Joe. But, I mean, we've not really heard you talk about how it's working tactically for Chelsea since Lampard's come in. Uh, we've, we've seen various various uh, you know, formations, haven't we? Some have worked well, some have, have not worked so well. I mean, what, what do you think about how that's evolving?
1: I think the, the fact that, I mean, if, if you look at the, the sort of statistics, and I think this probably also kind of correlates to what you see when you watch the games, is we seem to be in a position now where we play, I think, a lot quicker than we have done for the past couple of seasons. Um, there, there's a willingness to go direct, there's a willingness to be direct, um, we seem to be creating an awful lot of chances in games, you know, even going back to the, the Liverpool game um, last Sunday, Grimsby, obviously, as well. But, you know, I mean, we probably had four to six pretty good goal scoring opportunities. And I think that's always been maybe one of the criticisms of, of Chelsea under, let's say, Conte or, or is that maybe we weren't creating as many chances. And I think that, you know, the, the big departure we've had, so, I mean, largely for the past, uh, let's say, three, maybe four seasons... With Conte and Sarri, you've had this kind of very Italian mindset in how they coach the side. So they, they use this concept called positional play, which is kind of all these set patterns of play. And, you know, you, you don't have to really be like a coach to understand that we used to play a lot of like similar kind of movements. So, you know, into the wing back, into the, back into the midfielder play and the ball over top, over the top to Costa was one of uh, you know one of uh, Conte's kind of very, very similar moves. Um, there was loads of uh, times where the ball would come into Jorginho midfield and he'd play that, try and play a quick ball around the corner to a winger. Um, or, or to the striker over the top, and 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 a lot of these kind of like they're almost like, um, sort of auto, automatisms in in terms of how you um, you kind of play the game. So I think what we're seeing with Lampard this season is actually, you know, he he's kind of removing that aspect away from players. So you know, generally in in a Conte system or in a Sari system, a player maybe has depending on where they are on the, on the pitch, maybe two or three, maybe four things that they're they're supposed to do when they receive the ball, and it's often a way of making less, uh, let, let's say, fairly average players look a lot better than you are. So I think Victor Moses is always a good example. That one season he had on the as a wingback, where he looked like, you know, sort of Pete Cafu, was, was <laughs> largely down to the fact that he'd had so much of his decision-making ability taken away. And it was like, OK, you know, when you receive the ball, you do A, B or C. And, you know, his ability to pick A, B or C was generally quite good. So he looked a very good player in that system. But Lampard and, and, and particularly guys like Jody Morrison and Jarvis on the coaching aspect... Seem to be be removing that kind of very, very sort of regimented way of playing, you know, and and this is one of the things that was very common between between Sarri and, and Conte. Although their footballing philosophies were were fairly different in, in how they wanted to approach the game, the way they coached the the, the style that they wanted to implement was very similar. So I think what we're seeing now is you're actually you're giving the decision making ability back to players. And when you're in the particularly, I think in the final third and in, in midfield, yes, obviously they, they've got set patterns of play, things that they're looking to try and do. But we feel a lot more fluid, I think, now going forward. Um, you know, I think it's it, it seen really in, in the way that Jorginho looks less less of a a kind of, a very kind of, not very central, I suppose, a very kind of rigid player in, in how he was sort of perceived last season. You know, very lateral in his, in his passing, very set where he's meant to be. Almost felt at times like you could predict what he was going to do before he received the ball. I think he's a good example of, of a player that has had some of those constraints removed and now he's being empowered to make more decisions. And I think actually you're seeing a big improvement in him in terms of his, particularly I would say in terms of his forward passing, but guys like uh, Mason Mount, you know, William, Pedro, you know, Tammy Abraham guys in in midfield that we've seen, I think Kovacic also looks, looks the same that he's better now that he's being allowed to kind of make more decisions. And I think that, you know, yeah, the main thing really is we're seeing, we're seeing players now entrusted to, to actually think for themselves a bit more of it. And, you know, it, it, it kind of shows where we have, like, different movement patterns, the ball's moving a lot quicker. You know, you're not expected to, to almost kind of operate in a, a very, very kind of robotic manner when you receive the ball. So, you know, in terms of how that's progressing, I, I do think the underlying numbers are pretty interesting because, you know, we are, I think I looked before the game, we're even the second most creative side in the league. We, we've, you know, we, we kind of create the most chances. You know, we, we're very, very high in terms of our, our ability to sort of generate shots. And and going from uh, you know two coaches in particular, where it felt sometimes like we we could play an entire game. I think I don't know if it was the City game under uh, sorry in the in the League Cup final. I'm, I'm not sure we actually had a shot on target. So we've gone from a, a a very regimented setup to one which is a little bit more relying on on the players you know to express themselves, to be more creative, to take more ownership of of the of the actual ball and and the decision making aspect. And so I think that that's the big big positive thing because mm-hmm. you know when you you factor in you're going to have you know Callum Hudson-Odoi coming back, <clears throat> Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you know some some players I think are really going to improve the side. Reece James again, if he starts becoming more of a, a feature in in the side, then these these guys have kind of grown up being decision makers, yeah, being, being players who, who take the ownership of the ball. So and, I think and it's, playing it's really together, Joe.
0: And, and I mean, this is a point I've been making recently: is that you know the the likes of, as you said, Mount. Uh, Abraham, Reese, James, Loftus, Cheek, Hudson, Adoy, they have played together a lot. So there's, I, I, I think apart from everything else that's encouraging about seeing these kids break through, there's that, and of course Jody having coached them a lot as well. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm warming to that, and I have to say, Jonathan, uh, thanks, Joe, that was just mind-blowingly brilliant. Really appreciate that. Um, but you know, Jonathan, you know. <sighs> This, this I, I, I've I, got to be honest with you, this is, I love this. I, I cannot for the, I mean, you know, I've, I've managed a lot of uh, companies and people and this, that and the other, uh, most of whom have, have, have been very talented, particularly in the, well, you know, because I work in the creative industries. And, you know, we've had this funny old ding-dongs with scripts occasionally, haven't we? You know, you cannot, I, I just cannot, every fibre of my being cannot understand why you would dictate to really talented creative people uh you know how to do everything surely you have to give them their head because they're talented you need to create uh the environment for them you know there has to be structure and foundation but they're good good players let them do what they're good at yeah but or am i just naive? This is not
3: explain, Gigi, this is not explain why napoli were more capable because they weren't as good they went as top players as were playing for Chelsea, and were therefore more easily um, committed to playing in the straitjacket. They're more, and I think it's the same way that um, that Joe was pointing out about Victor Moses, who, uh, because he was very willing to do what Conte wanted, uh, it worked very well within that framework. Whereas other players just can't manage to to express themselves properly because they want to express themselves. To me, I'll make sense as to why he he was really loath to introduce new players into the system because he didn't want to have to explain the system to uh, another ten ten others from the youth team. That's why he didn't get anybody in, and I think he 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 was under duress. Sorry, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, to butt in. Like,
0: I'm getting getting just, stupid yeah. comments on Mixler, Benji. I you, you you know you you're better than that, man. We played but be- we played that way under Conte, and won the title. I'm going to, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to take that as a dig. It's not what I meant at all. I just said, that's how I prefer it, all right? That's how I prefer it. It doesn't mean that I I don't accept that under Conte, who did manage, like Joe was saying, in a very kind of, uh, you know, kind of dictatorial way, in a sense, this is how you have to do it. I I didn't say that it couldn't be successful. I just said, Mm -hmm. that is how I like it. It's okay. not bad.
3: It's not... It's, no. no, I kid you. It, you weren't saying at all that that was a bad thing. Benji Toe now... Saying, uh, sorry,
0: breaking <laughs> news, JK. Breaking news, Benji Toe has said, no, not a dig, mate. Fair enough. <laughs> sorry, go on, but, JK. But it,
3: it's, it's not... You're being very sensitive. It's rather well, Maybe sweet, I am. It's
0: got, I've got now, a headache. That's what it is.
3: Yeah, it must it's be that. My time of the that. month. No, to me, you weren't saying that uh, Conte was bad. You was Because his was a structure as well. You're saying that Frank is playing with more freedom and allowing players to express themselves. And I think that's a very good point actually that Joe was making that, that perhaps you just have to accept the fact that because we're getting more and more shots on goal, more and more chances being created than we've than we've seen for years, um, that we, perhaps you you have to accept that the defence is going to let a few more in. The dilemma is, is you've got to score them. And yeah. at the moment we're we're you know it's a it's it's better than last year, where there weren't any shots on goal. But now the shots have to be have to be better. You know, poor old Pedro, who good luck to him, got into three situations. Um, uh, in front of goal and hit the goalkeeper every time because he didn't he wasn't in his he, he he snatched at it a bit I get the impression he's just slightly under pressure in that instance whether he's not feeling he's playing as well enough he has come back from injury but I know the very fact that they got into positions where they should have scored was was really praiseworthy really laudable but they've got to put them away how many chances were there seven, well, seven I should know
0: Jonathan I've got it here mate I've got it here They they had. I mean this is the interesting thing actually because they are conceding a lot more possession than previously. It was They got 53% possession, 24 shots, 10 on target, and, of course, two goals. So, well, one of which was a penalty. So, you know, even lower in terms of the ratio. Um, so, you're right, more shots, but we're still not, uh, you know, clinical enough. But that was a problem last year as well, wasn't it? Let's be honest.
3: Yeah, but, but we weren't really getting the shots on. We weren't getting those obvious chances, though, were we? We were getting, we were having shots, Half chances. we yeah. weren't. Yeah, but they were half these, you know, this isn't a half chance when you're one on one with the goalkeeper. I mean, how many of those did we have? I mean, then poor old, um, I say poor old Barkley because he's coming in for a lot of stick at the moment. But that volley, which was very skillfully done, um, was too skillful, you know, because the goalkeeper is bound to be flinging himself across near post. And he should really have just put his foot through it in yeah. the same way that Alonso had that, had that volley. I have yeah. to say that this, what we're playing at the moment, suits Alonso down to the ground, getting forwards. But I'm still not convinced by him getting back at all. Um, so, you know, he is very much an attacker, Alonso. And yet, uh, and yet, other than one unbelievably wayward cross that went out for a corner, he just, he, when he's on form, he sticks in some very capable stuff, actually, Alonso. So, uh you know, that I think we're attacking wonderfully. They've got to score. They've got to yeah, put it well, away.
0: I, I think, you know, I mean, I was saying to Joe before before we got hold of you, actually, um, you know, before we went on air, that, uh, you know, Tammy Abraham is, is a work in progress. And, and he's not going to always make the right decisions. Very but so. he, he, he will get better and better. I'm, I tell you what, I, I'm going to say it now. I've said it before. I, I reckon he'll get 20 goals this season. Now, talking of goals, uh, what it absolutely needed on Saturday, really, I felt, was... For us to kind of make that breakthrough, because the longer it went on, the more you kind of had a horrible feeling that Brighton would just, get, you know, get a set piece goal, uh, and then you know, then they'd just sit there with 15 men behind the ball. Uh, and luckily, we got a penalty. Um, as I was saying to Jonathan on on Saturday after the game, I thought it was a weeny bit soft. But uh, the real issue about the penalty, of course, was uh, which of our uh, you know 11 designated penalty takers would it be? I'm going to just read you what Lamp said about this because obviously somebody in the press conference had a go at him. Uh, about the fact that it was Jorginho that took it and not apparently our, our uh, designated penalty taker, Barkley, as was claimed the other week. He said, yes, he is. End of story. Um, when asked if Jorginho was the first-choice penalty taker, I'm surprised about the obsession on penalty takers. Jorginho took it and he scored, and yes, he's the penalty taker. Honestly, Frank sounds even more defensive than I was to Benjito a minute ago, Joe. Um, point being, though, mate, um, you know who is the designated taker and who should
1: it be, Joe? So, it... One million percent it should be Jorginho.
4: Um
1: yeah, I'm with you. No, there. I had a little look at their their career penalties, and he's he's got 14 out of 15 he's scored, which is you know above 90%. It's an incredibly good record. I think Barkley's taken five in his entire career and uh, missed two, and Pedro's taken four and scored four. So Pedro's obviously a pretty decent taker, not someone who's taken them regularly. Barkley, for some reason, has become a taker at Chelsea, although has never been a taker in his career. And has got a pretty poor record. I mean, you know, missing two out of five is, is, is pretty poor. And Jorginho has missed one in his entire career and, and scored 14. So, you know, I mean, it's a fairly, for me, a fairly straightforward decision. I mean, it's a little bit like Eden Hazard when he, when he does the, you know, he sort of stares down the goalie and runs up and sort of kicks the ball without looking. You've always got that little moment in your your kind of stomach that, you know, what is he doing? He's going to miss. But, you know, the the little hop, skip and jump, you know, that, that, that Jorginho does. I mean, it obviously works because he's he's converted 93, 94 percent of his penalties throughout his entire career. So I think for me, it's a pretty straightforward thing. I also think Jorginho's, in terms of his personality, he's constantly being said, you know, by Lampard and I think other players that he's one of the, the characters in the team. And, you know, strong personalities normally take penalties. You don't normally have kind of shrinking violence. I think it's one of the reasons why Torres didn't ever really take a penalty because he never had that that sort of forceful personality at Chelsea. So, you know, Jorginho, for me, should be the taker. I think he is the taker. Um, I just think Ross Barkley, for some reason, um, also, you know, probably has quite a big personality um, and and obviously grabbed that one against Valencia. But I I, I would be be fairly surprised, I would say, going forward if we have a penalty and Jorginho and Barkley on the pitch again that Jorginho doesn't take them from now on.
0: Well, I can't disagree with any of that. I read something quite interesting actually, which I think was a really interesting perspective on the whole Barkley thing, without kind of raking up old stuff, J.K. But um, in a sense, I think it 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 okay. It might have been a bit egocentric, but it also shows a massive willingness and a desire. You know, he wants to succeed at Chelsea, and I know I know we've been talking about it for the last few weeks. He he he's not looking too good, but I desperately want to see him. Uh, thrive at chelsea because i think there's a good player in there somewhere and i think you know it shows that he wants to succeed in a sense
3: well yeah we we, we never want to see players being
0: um uh, marginalized
3: or just but it's it's the consistency isn't it if he if he played excellently um in uh in one game we'd know then that he's at a benchmark it's this it's this being caught in possession is the trouble that um he's just got to somehow eradicate he gets sort of—he suddenly appears to be as if he's as if he's playing in a swamp. He's playing in quicksand, and uh, he did it again on Saturday when he, he sort of had three players around him. And you you admire his courage to think, well, I can beat these three players, but he he won't be. He'll get dispossessed. And it's the—I'll keep going on about it. But the the speed in the Premier League within it, with any top teams, but specifically the Premier the, the Premier League. It doesn't matter what the team you are playing against. The the speed that the ball gets up the other end to have a shot after you made an error is phenomenal as was 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 proven by um dunk's pass that alonso headed on to a doy into the penalty area um uh William scores the deflected second goal it was seconds and you know that's we do the same to we, we punish opposition when they do it to us when when they do it to us and they they attempt to punish us by getting a shot in as soon as possible because it's that thing of not holding the ball up and i'm afraid that that ross does that a lot calling him ross i want to be his friend you you know him well actually jake let's not beat around the bush here
0: uh, alex alex Alex
3: knows him well alex i've seen i've seen you
0: in i've seen you in nobu with him mate you know and then go to a few clubs (laughs) afterwards you know come on don't don't be shy here yeah he's got
3: he's got some good moves i'll tell you that but they're not on the football field no he um (laughs) it's that thing of of, he, he holds the ball when it needs quicker ball in these situations and you think come on come on we've lost the impetus I kept shouting on Saturday actually um impetus come on the impetus we're losing the impetus here come on come on come on we've got it we've got the impetus we've got it and then somebody would lay a ball back and it's in that second and it's little touches and things you think no you've got to hit it now the goalkeeper's not looking the goalkeepers you don't want the extra touch I'm afraid tammy is 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 occasionally guilty of that you go tammy you no we know you can do it hit it hit it now it, you know, we don't need another touch because you've you've got the uh, you, you've got the advantage here, and um, I'm afraid that is one of Ross's problems: is yeah. that just that extra touch
0: that he takes as well. Okay, on? well, so. hopefully, hopefully uh, he will improve. Um, somebody who has improved a lot, I think. Actually, Joe's given us the answer to this uh, uh, in a sense because uh, you know, Jorginho, um I mean, let's face it; he, he was he had a rotten time last year. I've said this before on the show. I know you know he was kind of the the scapegoat for a lot of people's ire about Sarri, but um, he's just—I, you know—it's that old adage, isn't it? In a sense, as well, perhaps not—not—not not, not just what Joe was saying about the fact that he's been liberated from having to pass where he's being told to. But uh, I just think its it's players sometimes take a while to get used to the physicality and the pace of the Premier League. Joe, uh, I'm delighted to see it because you know, like, like you know, I, I wasn't a particular fan of his last season. I'll be honest; I probably got sucked into the whole. Sari thing as well but ultimately I don't you know if they wear blue I want them to do well and I'm really delighted to not only see that he's doing really well this season uh, but also he's getting some really good good support
1: yeah I mean I I completely agree on that and you know I would say probably and this is maybe me you know you you see these kind of unpopular opinions on social media media, which actually are quite popular Um,
0: if I speak I will be in trouble
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my, my unpopular opinions, I, I'm not, I'm not fully sold on him as a, as, as a holding player at the moment. Um, I think I, you know, I would one million percent say that I think he's been infinitely better than, than last season, but for, for someone who has grown up watching Claude McAlealy, Michael Essien, John Obi McHale, et cetera, play that role and then looking around the Premier League and, and seeing the profile of player who who is playing there in, in this kind of, you know, this era of the Premier League, I think when you have someone like Hudson-Odoi saying on one of these sort of FIFA 20 kind of videos, you know, being asked who the slowest and the weakest player in the squad is, and, and both times he says Jorginho without batting an eyelid. Oh, really? What
0: was that in then?
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't It wasn't in a mean way. They're being asked about their FIFA stats, you know, right, who's, the, right. who's the slowest and stuff like that. And, and he, he said it without even really batting an eyelid about who the weakest and who the slowest was. And my, my concern is, I mean, for all of the... I think massive improvements he's made, particularly sort of in how he was using the ball. When he goes hunting for possession, and I think the comparison that I'll make is, is Steven Gerrard under Rafael Benitez. The, the kind of perception of him was that he was this, you know, world-class player in the best form of his career. But Benitez moved him to the right of midfield because he wasn't positionally, he didn't have the discipline to play the role how he wanted. So he used Mascherano and Javi Alonso midfield. Gerrard would, would kind of get pushed out wide. And picking up on something that JK said a bit earlier about the you know, the kind of gaps in midfield, there are times where he goes hunting the ball that if he gets played around, and he did, there was quite a big, big example about 15 minutes into the game. As soon as he gets played around, there, there is like a 50 metre space between the midfield and the defence. And I think if you go back to the Norwich game where he got played around, they scored two goals from him. I think his, the, let's say, when when he makes an error, it's it's costly. And I think that that for me, for a £60 million player, you know, a specialist person that we bought for this position... I we didn't. Yeah, I think defensively we need to see Yeah, but
0: to be Joe, to be fair, we, we didn't spend sixty million quid on him to be in the position that he's in this season. He was he was absolutely fundamental and integral to the way that Sarri wanted to play. And given that we've got a transfer ban and that we couldn't buy, you know, AN other player, Frank is making the best of what he's got. Do you not think? I
1: mean, see, I, I, I don't I don't disagree with, with any of that, but my, my point being is that this season, you know, a lot of chances that we have conceded have come directly from him not being in a position where he should be defensively. He mm. does, you know, I mean Well all of the, just,
0: all of the midfield to be fair,
1: Joe. No, yeah, I completely it agree, waste. but yeah. you're 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 the, the one person screening the back four. That's that's your job. Yeah. yeah. And true, I mean it's not just me on the last season Andrew made a big play. point about it as well. He said, you know, we deliberately pull Jorginho up position position, then we just play him behind him. You know, he actually said that in a press conference as well. So, yeah. you know, I just want him to be a little bit more disciplined because I appreciate the desire to press and to Harry, but I don't want him pressing centre-backs. I don't want him pressing, you know, the, the opposition central midfielder who's picking up the ball two yards off of a right-back. I want him to, to be a little bit more disciplined because if he, goes, if he goes missing and he gets played around, you know, I mean, we're thankful that we've got a bit more pace at the back now. But it, it, that's, that's my only real criticism of him is that when, when he makes a mistake or when he makes an error or gets something wrong, it, it's costly. And it is, it's normally in that position. That's why, you know, Fabinho and players like that have, have kind of risen in profile because they, they're very good at screening that kind of space in front of the back four. So, you know, I, I said, I appreciate that this is this is a bit of an unpopular opinion, but no, 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 not it's, it's, it's something that I, I, I see and I can't unsee it during games because, yeah, as I said, I thought he was very good against Brighton largely, but we've seen it in other games, particularly the Norwich game is one that springs to mind. He made two mistakes in that game and they scored twice because of it. And I think it's a very high kind of risk-reward strategy Sometimes just take a little bit of a step back. That, that, that's what I'm saying. But
0: that's why that's why I was but, surprised, basically, that um, you know we had a midfield three of Mount, Barkley, and Jorginho because yes. I think Jorginho needs help. You know, I think it works. I mean, I I totally get what everybody's been saying about the fact that Kante plays on the right and he's not playing defensive mid. I get all of that, but I think the bottom line is, is that Kante has the footballing intelligence and the speed to cover should Jorginho yeah. get it wrong. You know, I think those two in the midfield whether they're part of a two or a three, works
1: very, very well because Kante's ability to cover, yeah? Yeah, no, completely agree. But I mean, just to, to round it out a bit, I think in terms of the the support he's getting, you know, he is infinitely better in how he's using the ball. I yeah, think you yeah, can see yeah. in, in a side that lacks, I think lacks a bit of personality and a bit of spine, a bit of leadership, that he is very much becoming one of those yeah. players that you can say, okay, you know, he organises, the, he organises the game. You know, people kind of respond off of him. He kind of dictates where things are going both defensively and offensively. And no, we are starting to see more of the player that I think people were, were looking or, or trying to sort of say that was was there last season. We're definitely seeing a much better player. Just like if I'm looking a little bit critical, maybe no, a bit longer term. No, enough,
0: mate. It's honest. Yeah. It's not critical. It's honest. Um, Joe, brilliant stuff. JK, I, I can hear you itching to get in. Do you want to make a final point on, on no, this? No, it
3: was, only, it was only the fact that I, I think if uh, if Kante plays that uh, I don't think Jorginho is... Um, stands out as much. Uh, I don't think he makes as many errors, or if he does make an error, he's more rectified. Um, uh, Unless Conte is in a position where he's uh, very far forward and can't get back in time. Because once again, he's not, um, uh, I think everybody expected uh, with Frank's appointment that we'd see him playing in front of the... uh, the back four but he's not he's playing he's playing in, in a, a normal midfielder position and playing very well accordingly because he's he's roaming around the whole of the pitch far oh, i yeah. can see
0: brilliant stuff okay boys good start uh part two coming up we're going to discuss why experience is still key or important uh we worry about kante having talked about him a little bit here and we're going to look at uh the next kind of six weeks that uh, chelsea have got under lampard and ask Which is something that's been grating with me, really. Everybody likes us. Do we care? Plus, this week's parish notices.
3: The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com.
0: Real fans, real opinions.
4: I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total Nutters and proper
0: chels. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Jidge, your list of the Chelsea fan cast. We've got the uh, the wonderful uh, Jonathan Kidd and the fantastic Joe Tweedy. Good, uh, good evening, this. chaps. Yes, Thank lovely you. to. <laughs> Yeah, it's lovely, lovely to have you all in here as well on a on a Mon- on a rainy Monday night in Winchester. In fact, I'm wondering if you occasionally, when it chucks it down, you wonder if people can hear the raindrops uh, hitting the roof uh, above my head. But there you go. Um, right, uh, quick shout out for the ChelseaFanCast.com website. Uh, number one, lots of great articles go up. Dean Mears, Nick Stroudley, the lovely Jonathan Ellis, Alex, the girl who likes balls, Churchill to name but a few. But also, um, you can listen to this show live every Monday on (laughs) Mixer Live. Live. And, you know, you can do it straight from the website. There's a little uh, kind of app thing, player thing, which is embedded into the thing that I put up saying what's on the show. So uh, there's a tip for those who don't know. So there you go. Uh, You see, because if you were experienced, you would know that. And therein lies the point, because I thought it was interesting, um, you know, because obviously quite rightly, we've all been absolutely hugely excited by all these talented uh, young players breaking through into the side finally. And they've all done brilliantly. Let's be honest. They've all looked absolutely superb and born to it. And I'm delighted. Um, But I've always said you need a balance. Uh, I think if we you know, we've got some good senior pros still. Uh, we've got some excellent youth talent coming in. What we have a dearth of, really, is world-class talent. Kante is the standout, but beyond that, it's a bit bit thin on the ground. Um, but we do need these players, and I thought, you know, let's talk about Willian first. I, I thought, um, you know, he has his moments, does our Willian, but I thought, overall, he had a pretty good game on, uh, on Saturday, and he just kept on going, got his goal. Good to see, JK. We need him.
1: Yeah,
3: very much so. I think he's... Um... Uh, when he played earlier on in the season, and people were just saying, "Oh, same," or well, you not try," hamstring problem or something, um, because um, uh, he wasn't at his best. I think mean, that's the problem. It's his inconsistency, and gives the impression that he's not actually. Um, particularly involved or up for it, um, which we don't like seeing, do we, Chidge, if a player just seems to be wandering about with his head down. Um, uh, we do have this attitude that we do like to see a bit of uh, um, a bit of uh, uh, ambition and um, effort. But uh, when he starts playing well, you appreciate what skill he's got. And I think he's beginning to get back into the groove. Um, and he has to play um uh, the way he's playing at the moment, he has to be first choice for me, because that's um, he does some fantastic stuff. He, I was reading that he was um, um, his ability to push inside is something uh, Ooh, uh. And, and look for the ball. Yep, yeah, hey, misses. Cool, bloody hell,
4: cool.
3: <laughs> oh i say, did I
1: say
3: that really? God, you did. Yeah, we've got yeah four days to go to the weekend. Come on, um, uh, no, he's is is? Um, I think he has certain skills that the layman doesn't notice. I'm sure that Joe notices. And there's this article I was reading saying how he makes himself available for the ball in a way that that um, other players don't in the Chelsea team, and uh, and consequently it's. Um, uh, it's a plus, and it's something that you don't really notice his ability to run off the ball to receive it and then cut inside. Which uh, I know some people have, have objected to, but it leaves the uh, and I think last year with Sari, people were complaining about it because he was getting into the middle. But it it means that um, there's an option for for the winger to get there, and uh, it seemed to make great sense to me in the way that, that Lampard wants to play. Um, but I, I, I'm I'm I've always been a, a Willian fan, as, as you know, Chidge. Actually, I've never been. You like down a bit in. of Willie? I like a... I like. Well, actually, actually no, Chidge. No, as you know, but uh, but uh, I like a bit of him. Um, no, I don't mean that. That sounds ridiculous. I mean, no. Um, I like. Um, I think you know he was. He, he he's obviously had the standout season when we were dreadful when we finished tenth. But I always think that there's a there's a. Um, uh, there's, a, there's an almost a world-class player there that should be allowed to express himself even more. And, and it, it annoys me. What annoys me about him is, in fact, I think he, he's he's had the ability to be fantastic and and then lets himself down by by not performing on occasions. And I suppose we, we, we're after consistency as well as the effort. And he doesn't have it. But mm. um, it's been nice to see him in the last few games uh, looking uh, really excellent and I'm very pleased for him and it's annoying that Pedro isn't looking as excellent um, and Pedro is in fits and starts and I found once again as I said his ability to get in front of goal would get into those situations was great but his choices were just weird so uh, yeah. you know all th- three shots straight at the goalkeeper you want to go come on you're better than that come on yeah. which he is we know he is uh
0: keydoke uh Joe um Taking William into consideration as well, I mean, it, you know, I, I do think the reality is, I mean, you know, this is the point. When you've got a lot of young players in a side, you know, I do think you need a bit of experience around them, actually. And I think it's important. And of course, our, I mean, our senior players at the moment, I mean, definitely Aspie, William, Pedro, and Alonso. Giroud, probably not going to get really much of a look in, and I suspect he'll be off uh, in January. Um, I mean, how important will they be this season, do you think?
1: I think this, this may shock people because I think I'm often painted as someone who would start the FA Youth Cup team away at City, like if I got the opportunity. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think having particularly, I mean, the, the players you've just you've just spoken about, having that sort of experience in the side is is completely invaluable. And I don't think you can really kind of put a, a value on, on just what they're giving to, to players. And I think particularly, you know, some of the players who have been a little bit maligned over the past maybe two seasons, you know, I often feel that one of the things that Chelsea have lacked a little bit is is a player, let's say, since since Terry retired. Um, a player to kind of set the benchmark, the level, you know, the level of what is expected of a Chelsea player. And I think what I've seen this season, particularly from Azpilicueta, you know, he came in for criticism, but I think he's bounced back pretty well. From William as well, he seems to have kind of almost embraced, I'd say, in the past couple of games, his kind of role as like the senior attacker. That so these guys are now setting the... The, the kind of the benchmark for the younger players. So you know, this is this is what is the expected view. This is how you win games as a Chelsea player. These are the standards that we've had at Chelsea, and I, I'd include Jorginho in that as well as a player yeah, who was really, definitely. really, really good at establishing, you know, the, the benchmark for work rate right, for for sort of you know what you should be doing. And you know, in, in terms of how important they'll be, I, I think they'll they'll continue to be important. You know, as long as we can't buy players, um, you know, Aspilicueta will have a huge, I think, role in shaping the the future career path of, of Rhys James an incredibly talented player, but having someone like that to learn from, you know, to, to, to actually have as, almost be as an understudy for the time being is fantastic. Same with Willian and, and, and guys like Hudson-Odoi and, and Christian Pulisic, Pedro, the same. Um, even Alonso, you know, I think, uh, you know, he, he is a, a very, very good, you know, deputy to, to Emerson, but obviously, and also a very good player to bring in as well. And I, I feel that, you know, Tammy Abraham could learn an awful lot about hold-up play from, from playing with Olivier Giroud, watching him, training with him. So, you know, if, if we're in very much a transitional season, we've got an incredibly young team, you know, incredibly young players who are almost kind of, you know, get, getting their experience as they sort of, you know, play in the Premier League, which is, is not something you normally associate with Chelsea youngsters. Having having some of these sort of more senior players to fall back on in terms of their experience, their leadership, you know, being able to rely on them as as, as both players, you know, that they're playing alongside, but also guys they're training with. Now, I, I, I don't think you can really put a... Value on just, just how important that will be because you know they will have a massive impact on just how well some of these young players adapt, and, and obviously, that has a an massive long term you know say on, on how good this Chelsea side will be over the next couple of seasons.
0: Hmm, I agree with all of that. Of course, the most important player, arguably, and as I've said a minute ago, our, our only really genuinely world class player is Kante, of course, and his you know setting of the benchmark is absolutely uh, vital. And uh, you know, he's he's missed five games this season. Uh, And since moving to England four years ago, he's only missed 10 Premier League games in total. Uh, I'm worried about him, uh, you know, and I I desperately want whatever this injury issue is to be sorted out. But he seems to be a bit injury prone at the moment. And I wonder if he's being rushed back and stuff. I don't know. Joe, what what do you think? I mean, are you worried?
1: I am. Term. Yeah, I, I am worried about him. And I think, you know, what you've, you've mentioned about him missing only like 10 games in this entire time of, of being in England or Premier League games, I should say. You know, he's he's such a crucial aspect, particularly when we play better teams. You know, I think we can get away with with not having him against the brighters of the world. But but when you're, you're playing in sort of cities, Liverpool and probably any side in the top eight this season, you know, has has a pretty decent midfield you know it feels like he is an enormous miss and even against liverpool you know he scored an absolutely like unbelievable you know world class finish um, But there seems to be a little bit that he's he's not maybe moving as freely like I, i'm not sure what it is with him but you know we're so used to I and mean, i think you're right you know he's set such incredible standards that it, even if he drops a little bit below that you you're kind of it's natural to panic because you assume something is is wrong long term It'll be very interesting to see, you know, how, how the injury situation is handled because, you know, we I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, people maybe remembered Ledley King just basically just sort of didn't train throughout the week for Tottenham and then just turned up on Saturday and Sunday and then just repeated the process. You know, I think that that, that would be a, a pretty bad situation because that almost signals the end of, you know, kind of the end of Kante for, for the next two seasons. But it's, it's just going to be one of those things I think that they need to sort out. But... You know, we've had a lot of big games kind of early and, and I think the, maybe the perception is that he needs to be playing in those games. But, you know, for a player that you're so used to seeing play virtually every game that he can, you know, the fact that he's missing games and and we're maybe going with slightly slightly different, you know, kind of midfield combinations and maybe using more attacking players in midfield. You know, I think, uh, you know, him, him and Jorginho work well as a pair defensively as well. So, you know, my point about Jorginho defensively also, you know, kind of gets sort of uh, negated somewhat when Kante's playing. But it's it's going to be interesting to see how it develops because, you know, he's not really been a player that you associate with, with injuries throughout his career and, you know, going back to, to Leicester and, and even if you look at his, his sort of injury record in France, you know, it, it's virtually perfect in terms of the amount of game time he's actually missed. So the fact that this has now become a thing that he doesn't really seem to have, have properly gotten over the injury he had at the end of last season... You know, it, it's a worry that this is something that is going to become now part of him. You know, throughout the season where he's being managed as a player, he's ne- hes never going to be back to being fully fit. He's being managed through games, and his workload's being managed but, because they want to kind of make sure that he plays the bigger game. So, well, I, that, that, but, that's the big concern is that he never really gets back to being fully fit because he, well, he keeps being dropped in and out.
0: Yeah, and I think there therein lies an interesting issue because Jonathan. I mean, this year, uh, you know, given given that you know, I mean, I hesitate to say this—we are Chelsea after all but there is possibly less pressure this year on a manager to win stuff than there has been since Roman took over. So surely wouldn't it be more sensible to say you know what, you know yes he's our best player. Yes we need him against the big sides and all of that, but you know what, let's let if he has to like spend 6 months out getting absolutely rested and fit, maybe this of all years is the year we could do that rather than bringing him back when he's maybe not 100% which leaves him vulnerable to get another injury which means he misses another two games you know wash rinse repeat basically maybe just sort it do out do we give him what, a rest
3: do we know what the scope of the injury is because uh, uh, I thought originally it was the knee injury that he had and he clearly shouldn't have played in the Europa League final but played wonderfully and perhaps he's, as Joe was saying he hasn't uh, he hasn't recovered from that but is, is it um, I, I read that he had a, 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 a calf strain as a consequence. Was that the injury that he had again? I
0: I think he tweaked a hamstring. That's the uh, most recent one. Was a hamstring. That's right. Well, you wonder whether
3: it's all connected,
0: and yeah. you're absolutely right. You uh, know, why. They whether, they know why? Don't you know why? Don't you? Because your ankle bone's connected, to, connected your... to your yeah, exactly. Of course, yeah. your knee I'm bones so, connected to your... Yeah. Yeah, your yeah, your thigh bone. That's yeah, right. Your, your thigh, thigh bone's connected,
3: connected to your to your your femur. Yeah, well whatever. You no, get the point. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah I've, I've ruined it now. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not, well, yes actually, you have, but I, I still love you. <laughs> yeah, but, no, but I think I think whether that's a, that's
3: um whether that's actually the the problem is that he's he, it's referred injury. He's 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 um, in the same way that Rudiger came back with a groin strain immediately because he came back too soon. And you wonder actually what's going on with the club at the moment because Emerson came back and apparently yeah. he was OK. And he lasted 30 seconds. So um, wh- wh- it would be nice to find out what the uh, what the doctor is saying to them. Is he saying to Frank, yeah, they're fine and they're having a, uh, a, a not rigorous enough.
0: Um, do, do, you have, do you ever remember, desk. I bet you watched this as a kid, I might exclude Joe out of this, apologies Joe, uh, Reggie Perrin, uh, well, that wonderful series, um, can't remember the title yes. of it, Wasn't it? you know the one I mean, the, rise, Roster, the, the, the Fallen Rise of uh, Reginald Perrin, with Leonard yes. Roster in it, I remember the, the Doctor at Sunshine Desserts, maybe that's who we've yes. got at Chelsea at the moment. OK, one for the teenagers there. Um, yeah, it's a worry. Yes. I, I mean, you know, frankly, I'd, I'd, I'd give him a rest, get him properly fit, because when we come back fighting on all fronts next year, you know, he's our best player. We need him back fully fit and like he used to but be. It may
3: be that he's happy at the moment to lurch from game to game. It may yeah. be that he says, well, I'd like to be there for uh, for Leo." He may play on Wednesday. Well oh, we'll see. Um, um and they're not playing the league game. They're not playing against Southampton.
1: I don't know how they're managing it, but um uh, on this Chid. I know I know that we've we've literally just signed a new strength and conditioning coach, so I think maybe they've realized that something is not right and they've gone yeah. out and tried to hire someone to sort it out. So it'd be uh, interesting uh, to see yeah, if anything changes sense.
0: yeah. Good yeah. point, mate. Um listen, talking of people who, who, who are starting, um uh, it'd be interesting to know where we stand on on Callum hudson odoi I mean, my my feelings on him really. It was interesting. I thought, you know, I, the the Grimsby Grimsby game. Uh, Frank kind of dug him out a bit. I, my my view on him is that he, he's still a bit rusty, having been out injured for a long time. He definitely needs game time. He, he's absolutely a sublime talent. Uh, is, is there a case at the moment for starting him, Joe, or does he need to be eased in a bit?
1: I still think, I mean, again, I'm, I'm speaking as, as someone who is, has been in an absolutely enormous fan of him since I, I saw him play in the FA Youth Cup, but I think he needs to be eased back into the yeah. to the side somewhat and a little bit little bit how he's being used at the moment, you know, kind of an impact sub, last 20, 30 minutes in the Premier League, maybe he plays a bit more regularly in the Cup, but I think that when you're, when you're in a side that maybe isn't uh, super clinical when it comes to sort of finishing chances, Having someone who I think both is is a very good finish. I think that the goal that he eventually did score um, against Grimsby was quite and um, kind of very eerily reminiscent of that little shimmy that Eden Hazard used to do, where he'd faint to go right a little shimmy and bring it onto his left and kind of sweep it in the in the near post. So that that was very very nice to see. But also the assist of William. But I mean, we saw that he was I think a great piece of play between him and it might be Mason Mount and maybe Tammy. I, I can't remember who was involved, but he he overhit a pass to William, which I I you know say that he would make kind of nine times out of ten in under normal circumstances. So easing back into the game, but you could tell when he came on that the you know the Brighton right back all of a sudden started dropping six metres, you know, deeper to to, to know because if if Tallam starts yeah. running at him in was shim- the six seven. Yeah. Was that the six foot yeah seven oh, no, 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 he back. he was the uh, he was the left back. He's the tallest left back I've ever seen. But I was, I he I was like just, a basketball playing left back. Seen I mean was, a full was yeah. absolutely bizarre yeah, it's like uh, Robert name left <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I did notice that, that as soon as Callum came on that their right back was was terrified of his pace. <clears throat> you could see the, the little shimmy did inside and and the, the the assist to William just came from I think his his ability to be explosive. But yeah, you know, easing back into the team, you know, make sure obviously he still has to earn the shirt. Um, you know, he's got the, the contract now, so all of that kind of stuff that maybe was there last season can can be moved on from. Um but I think he's he still looks to me like he's going to be a potentially a really, really top player for Chelsea. So I wanted to manage in the right way, make him earn the position. Um, but I think you know you're, you're going to see a player that that really starts to transform games for Chelsea because he seems to do something every time he plays. You know, and he's still we have to remember he's still an incredibly young young player. To to see, see someone regularly impact games all the time at such a young age is important. So yeah, I, I just want to see him improve and, and and start to kind of get towards the the level of, of play that I think he can do. Um, but I think Lamp- Lampard and Morris and, and Edwards and, and those guys—they they will know how to manage him. They're already challenging him defensively, challenging him to get him behind, you know, publicly. Um, so I think they'll know—they know how to motivate him, how to get the best out of him. And it always seems to me like to come across as a player who wants to be great. You know, I think a lot of young players sometimes they—they they, they get to a certain level and maybe they're, they're quite happy to kind of hit hit a plateau for a while and, and kind of get their feet under the table. I think with Callum, he—he he wants to be one of the best players in the world. And I think that that. That that kind of attitude that he has is reflected in in how how kind of decisive he can be during games. So you know, in, I said in, in a side that maybe lacks a little bit of that up front, someone very clinical. I think that that Callum will be a, a real massive asset for us as he sort of finds his feet throughout the season. Mm,
0: interesting stuff. Right, let's move this on a bit because uh, we we now enter. It's not been an easy start for us for for many many reasons, um, but we now have a run of. One, two, three, four, five league games. I mean, I know we've got United and the Caribou Cup and I know we've got got, uh, Champions League matches as well. But on the league, we've got Southampton away, uh, Newcastle at home, Burnley away, Watford away, Palace at home. uh, Before we then face our, our, you know, arguably one of the biggest tests of the season, which is uh, Man City away uh, on November the 23rd. The, the, the theory seems to be, J.K., that, that all of these matches are winnable. I, I know you, for one, would, would absolutely insist on that. Um, how many points would we settle for out of that little lot there, do you think?
4: <sighs>
0: um, I think we ought to win them all, huge other than... What, no. what did I tell you? What did I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> You're so no, predictable.
3: No, I I, know I, am, I am. But really... Really, if he if he just improves and the team improves, which I think they're doing, um, uh, Southampton aren't great. They're tricky. It's a tricky one. It's away, but possibly we might draw it. Newcastle are abysmal. We need to take them to the cleaners. Burnley away difficult because they're a nasty bunch, um, but that's winnable. Uh, Watford are, are are poor at the moment as well. And Palace. Similarly, we should beat them. But they're all they're all tricky, aren't they? They've all got some uh, canny players and managers, other than Newcastle. Um, so, but yeah, but in 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 the best of all possible worlds, we should get um, 15 points. But and then uh, possibly not care about City. Um, mm. But knowing Chelsea will probably give City a very good team, a very good match. Um, and uh and drop points against this lot and it probably start off by drawing at southampton but um for me that if if all it needs for us to for start scoring and get early goals we seem to have this ability at the moment because we were so so on the pace at the beginning to uh to overwhelm sides but uh yeah no i i'm i'm the answer to your question i would love us to win them all we should win them all i suspect we'll end up with say 10 points, if we're lucky, 10, 12 would be well, you, good, you, You've it?
0: gone down from 15 to 10 and then back up yeah. to 12. No, 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 10 was wrong,
3: 12, 12. No, I'm, I'm trying to be a realist here, Chich. Yes, I'd like us to win them all,
0: please. Do you know what? going I'm, I'm, little I'm, boy, gonna, shit, I'm the ask, little boy in me. I know, I know. The little boy in me wants us to win them all. Um, right, OK, I was going to ask Joe what he thinks, actually. I mean, before you do that, before I do that, Joe, I, I reckon we'll, uh, I think we'll, We'll win against Southampton. We'll win against Newcastle. We'll lose to Burnley. We'll win against Watford, and I think we'll draw with Palace.
1: Um, I, I mean, I, I would take from those. I'd be quite happy with, I don't know, eleven, twelve points. Um, I think that they're, you know, they are eminently winnable games for us. I mean, it, again, it, it's it's more a question of, of us converting our chances because every game we've played this season, we've had. I think as J.K. alluded to, we've had patches even against Liverpool and even against games that we've, um, you know, games that we've lost, we've had patches in during those games. I mean, maybe even, even the United game, the first game of the season, I I know things have changed a lot since then, but, you know, we've had 15, 20 minute spells where we really should have uh, been scoring goals. So, you know, it's a question of if we, if we get a, if we get in front, if we make, if we take our chances, you know, I think these are all, these are all winnable games, but, you know, it's really just keeping in touch with the sides around us. I, I expect West Ham will, Will drop off at some point. Leicester are kind of obviously the interesting side at the moment that are maybe making a bit of a, a kind of a, a dart for the top four. But you know, Tottenham, Arsenal, United, I think they're all they're all very very capable of, of, of losing points. So you know, between ten and, and twelve points, I think you'd, you'd be very very happy with that. Um, and I, I can see it being possible. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think the the Burnley away game will be difficult um, purely for the fact that you know I don't think physicality is a big strength of ours at the moment in terms of the team and. And we know that, that that is very much kind of Burnley's sort of comfort area is is taking the game to that that sort of physical level and and playing, you know, playing, playing their, you know, their kind of short, you know, uh, dice kind of brand of football. So that would be the interesting one for me. But again, you know, it, it might be quite weird to say, but I think if we do actually get a result of Burnley, then that, that to me suggests that, that maybe things have, have turned a bit of a corner with some of the uh, some of the young players that we have. So, yeah, between between 10 and 12 points, I think is is definitely achievable. Um you know, I think as long as we don't lose, I think that that is a, also a, a positive. I, I'd like to keep, um, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a, a streak going in terms of not losing games as well. So um, yeah, that, that would be very, very. I think. And I think again, if if we get if we get twelve points, I'd be very surprised if we're not fourth in the table at that point as well. So you know, I think it, it will be a uh, a good um, sort of test for us over the next couple of games before, well, as you say, we play City.
0: Therein lies my point, Joe, because you know, I, I, I'm. I... I kind of rationally, I, I think this is, somebody asked me to contribute to a blog that they were writing. Some lovely, I think it was Scott from uh, here, uh, some Brighton uh, website or something. Anyway, I, I think that, uh, well, I'm praying that, that uh, it, you know, I don't, obviously we don't want Liverpool to win the league. So on that basis, it has to be City. But uh, I think it's going to be City, Liverpool, and I think Leicester are going to come third. But I actually do believe that we can get fourth this year. Tottenham, Arsenal and United, the usual traditional top four challengers i don't think uh, uh, i mean arsenal could get their shit together i can't see united doing it and i think that there's some really weird stuff going on with spurs at the moment west ham could be decent but i think they'll be too inconsistent we're capable of doing it and we're i mean we're in sixth at the moment i don't know what's going on with united arsenal at the moment but obviously arsenal could go above us uh, united could if they wallop arsenal by enough um, but we I mean, what what I think is interesting is as as we go deeper into the season. I mean, we're seven games in now. You know, things are beginning to shape up a bit, and uh, we're in the mix. We are in the mix, and I definitely think that we're more than capable of doing it. It's going to be very interesting. On the point of predicting, because we've kind of just done a little bit of a prediction for the Southampton, Newcastle, Burnley, Watford, and Palace um, next week. We're going to be launching a very naughty little uh, app. With a company, I'm not going to say who it is yet. Because you have to wait till next next week. But it's like a, it's kind of betting without betting. So you kind of we we're going to set up a Chelsea fancast prediction league. Uh, and we all put a bit of money into the pot and then whoever gets them all right basically wins the pot so you can win some money you have to pay for it mind but you know it it, it kind of contributes to whatever we're going to win so i'm excited by that and i shall be letting you all know about that next week um right final point in this part i wanted to raise this has been tickling me pink actually all week jonathan will, will laugh no doubt as well because he knows what a curmudgeon i am but um we seem to be, uh, you know, suddenly really popular again. Everybody kind of likes Chelsea, likes what they all like. I mean, I, I was listening to Talk Sport on the way home on Friday night, JK. And they, they have this kind of version of the sports bar with a, with a woman on it. Or maybe it's not sports, bar, it's the one before that. Anyway, whatever. Anyway, she's an Arsenal fan. And she was saying how much she likes Frank Lampard and how much she likes what we're doing. And it's making me want to vomit. I don't like being liked. I'm very uncomfortable with this. How do we feel about this, JK? Inevitable Chich, because of him, because
3: he's he's a sweet, handsome man, and it comes across, and you can't help but feel affection for the uh, the team if the managers are good, and and he, he you know he, he seems to deal with anything that happens. Um, there's no side to him; he doesn't seem to have any uh, two faces about it. Um, and uh, perhaps it uh, it suits with with the way the club is at the moment with the transfer ban and the youth. And I think people, therefore, have an element of sympathy towards us.
1: It's a weird one because, you know, Chelsea teams that the the kind of 2003, maybe to 2012 kind of era where we were, I mean, we had an incredible team squad. I think that generally people don't like you when you do well. And and yes, you know, we had a lot of characters in there, but we had a lot of characters who people didn't like because they played for Chelsea. If they played for their team, they would have been over the moon that John Terry was there or Ashley Cole (laughs) or. Any of these sort of number of players that people have got a reputation for, I think the the interesting thing will be for the club is that you know we're not really a, a, a sort of club that's had this kind of positive PR. You know, I mean, the, Lampard's appointment and the approach he's taking, I don't think you can really buy buy that sort of PR. You know, for a club that has had so much said about it over the over the years and so much aimed at it. You know, the fact that we've got a, an English manager, an English management team, we're playing. You know, young English players every single week. We're starting to use the academy. You know, I, I quite like the people that are sort of gaining behind that because we've had so much stick about it over the years. But you know, I think I'm a little bit like you too. There's a little kind of nagging doubt in the back of my head that that people are liking us because we're not quite what we were. You know, a few years ago. And you know, I, I don't like Liverpool when I don't. I'm not a big fan of City, but that's primarily because they're they're successful and I think they're they're quite a lot further on in their sort of journey of of where they want to be than us at the moment. So. Um, I, I do, you know, openly admit that I miss having um, some slightly more physical and aggressive players in the team. I do think that we're quite, we're quite nice in terms of how we are as a side as well. So, you know, that that's that's more of a personal thing for me. But you know, I think it's one of those things that that people generally start appreciating what you're doing when you're not quite as successful as what you were. You know, we're not we're not kind of anywhere near, I would say, near that sort of peak Chelsea side at the moment. So there's a little bit of that in my head that's nagging at me. That's, that's suggesting it's a little bit of a Kind of a you know like a false positive in a way, um, but I think for the club and and sort of where they're heading in the direction they're going, that you know having a lot of this sort of positivity around them will be will be a useful selling point for them when they start looking at uh, potentially bringing in sort of players in the future. Because if you're competing for for I imagine what is going to be a lot of uh, young players, a young a lot of young top players in, in in world football, you know having this sort of positive spin Lampard, you know likes young players that, that Chelsea are becoming a, a team that embraces. That sort of direction. I think that that, that kind of uh, PR is something that you, that you can't buy and it actually probably strengthens our position in the market a little bit in the future. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think it reflects the nature of where we are as a club at the moment but also I think what it potentially allows us to do in the future when we're competing for players. You know, we do have a bit more of a a case now for for, for player development, for bringing in younger players, um, for getting some of that you really top talent in Europe who are in that kind of younger bracket because of some of the uh, the PR that we're getting so it's a little bit of a double edged sword but i mean overall i think you have to be positive about it even if there is a bit of a niggling kind of doubt for me that- no <laughs> no you don't <laughs> i don't try- i hate it i balance there <laughs> I hate it,
0: I hate being, you know, this sec- everybody's second favourite team bullshit, I hate it, I, mu- I much head prefer head it when everybody head, yeah, hates yeah, no, us, I much prefer it, I have no need to be loved by football supporters, that is for <laughs> sure and for true, but I'll leave it there before I spontaneously combust. Right, I'm going to quickly read out the old parish notices, of which there are several tonight. The first and most important one, of course, is about me. Yes, little old me. Uh, Because uh, the uh, big Stamford Bridge sleepout is taking place on November the 16th, and uh, the trust, the Chelsea Sports Trust, the backing of the club, have planned a charity sleepout, as I said, on the 16th of November, in aid of two local homeless charities. Uh, It's a unique opportunity for fans to volunteer to sleep out at Stamford Bridge and raise money through sponsorship, and it's open to anybody who is a season ticket holder or a member. Uh, Full details can be found at the Supporters Trust website, which is chelsysupporterstrust.com, amazingly enough, and the Facebook page. Uh, And you'll be able to sign up, and uh, full instructions will be given to create your own online giving page so that you don't have to collect the money yourself. Uh, Or, as I like to think of it, uh, spend the night sleeping with your favourite Chelsea fans. And as I said, on that note, I myself will be taking part, and I would be absolutely humbled and delighted uh, if if you would sponsor me, it would be very nice if you could. Um, I'm doing all right. I've got the target, but it would be nice to raise as much money as possible because they're brilliant charities. And uh, Personally, one of the things that I think is really nice about it is um, it's kind of a little honouring the memory of Ray Wilkins, really, because if you remember when, when uh, Ray died, that homeless chap phoned up TalkSport and uh, told the story of how Ray had been really lovely to him, given him money, spent some time talking to him, looked after him a bit. Uh, so it's nice to be able to, to kind of honour that memory of Ray, but also give uh, generously to two fabulous charities that help the homeless. Now, you can find my donation page at uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash davidchidgy. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I shall be mercilessly retweeting and Facebooking it so that you'll get sick of it. So the easiest thing to do is to just give and then you can block it or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, please give generously. It's a worthwhile cause. The Let's Talk Show and Venus Promotion presents a
3: Black History Month special. An evening with Paul Cannaville, Chelsea's first black footballer.
2: Oh, it's found Cannaville! Chelsea have done
3: it! Now a motivational speaker and youth coach. Come and watch his powerful and moving documentary. And I heard this
1: abuse and, and suddenly when I turned around and see that it was my own wow! Well, I, I was more deeply I just didn't want to be on the pitch. I just want to come off
3: find out how he fought racism, drugs and cancer on Saturday the 19th of October 7pm until 10pm at the State Club Collindale 16-18 to 18 Charcot Road London W9 5WU Patricia Wharton and Omoel well interviews Paul Cannaville. Tickets £15 available from Eventbrite. Get your tickets now! Our mission is to inspire and equip young people to overcome challenges An evening with Paul Cannaville, Chelsea's first footballer. Come and watch his powerful documentary Saturday the 19th of October at the State Club Collindale, London NW
0: uh, now, our mate, dear old Cannas, Uh, Canners will be on the Chelsea Fancast on the Friday version, the Love Sport version, very soon. Uh, anyway, Paul, uh, as you've just heard on the little audio clip that I've played, he's got a great event where you can watch the documentary that they made about him and then he's doing a Q&A and he will be signing copies of his autobiography, which is a brilliant book, Black and Blue. If you haven't read it, you really need to... Incredibly moving book. Uh, Cannel's will be talking about that and signing it. Tickets are, as they said, 15 quid. And it's at the Stay Club, Collindale, 16 to 18 Charkett Road, London, NWN, 5WU. And it's 7 o'clock till 10 p.m. Uh, and, of course, like I did last week, I've forgotten the flaming date. It's oh, I, should, I Bear with me. Uh, normal service will be resumed in a minute. You see, the thing is, I, I should be getting really used to and good at this, like talking nonsense while I'm trying to find something, because I've I've learned how to do this on t- radio, you know, so there you go, uh, and I've successfully done it, it's the 19th of October, there you go, so that'll be the same day as we play Newcastle, so if you fancy, if, you, if you're in that manner and you fancy a good evening out with Canners, chatting to him, then you know what to do. Uh, Patreon, while I'm here, uh, don't forget if you want to do uh, like a lot of people have already done, and become a Chelsea Fancast patron. Uh, it helps cover the costs of running lots and lots of shows and doing all the stuff we do. Um, uh, and there's no pressure. I mean, you really, really, you know, if you do, you do love you to pieces. If you don't, no problem. Still think just as much of you. But, uh, you know, most people donate a couple of quid a month or something like that, and it all it, helps. So uh, go to patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Uh, and by the way, the other thing, of course, you can interact with the likes of me because I do check in there occasionally. So if you want to get emails in the show or just just get hold of me, you know, I, I I do check in fairly regularly, and I have some absolutely wonderful news for you all later on tonight if I get time before I go to bed and collapse in a big heap. I should be letting the Patreon know, uh, Patreon people know something very special which is coming your way if you play your cards right. Now, uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust. Um, we had our first board meeting of the. Uh, new uh kind of board post-elections uh we had it on saturday before the brighton match uh as you know i I am no longer the chairman because i've done my three years and you can only do constitutionally we can only do three years uh we have elected not one but two chairmen uh and they are dj mr only a pound himself and uh, the lovely cliff auger who many of you will know cliff of course does all the community work and the food bank stuff so uh I trust that you will support them in the wonderful way that you supported me. Uh, if you want to join the Trust, it's very easy. It's free to be a member. Uh, but if you want to have a badge and you want to be able to vote and come to the meetings, then it's five quid a year. You can sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com uh, and you can follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S trust. And finally, the CPO, the Chelsea Pitch Owners. If you want to own a little bit of Chelsea, protect the future of the club, uh, then go and buy a share in the CPO because, of course, they own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and their aim is to ensure that Chelsea will always remain playing football at Stamford Bridge. If you want to know how to buy a share, they're quite cheap, about 40 quid a go these days. Uh, You can info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash Chelsea pitch owners and you can follow them on Twitter at pitchowners. Now, in part three, we've got schedule change, as I did warn you earlier on, uh, because in part three... Uh, we are going to read out the emails, and I'm very much hoping that uh, JK is not going to be all Norman Collier, otherwise my voice will go. But we'll find out in a few minutes. Chidge! JK! In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there, and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge,
3: I'd be bereft.
4: Inconsolable.
0: Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
4: Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy. And you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Chels.
0: Welcome back. I am Stamford Cheech, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. We've got the lovely... Mr. Jonathan Kidd and the Love Woo, and we've got Mr. Joe Tweedy, the uh, voice of sense and reason when it comes to talking about Chelsea. We're delighted to have Joe on the show. Uh, now it's time for emails, which is a fun part of the show and uh, increasingly popular with the punters because they keep sending us so many of them. I mean, it's brilliant. So I've shoved it all up to part three to make sure we don't have to do it in a rush. Uh, and the first one is from uh, Pierre Frizel, and he says, "Hi, Chidge and Co. Let me start by saying." Thanks for the great work you do with the podcast. It brightens up my Tuesday morning's no end. Sadly, my weekly seven-a-side game bars me from listening. Cue kiddo voice live every Monday evening. Uh, I felt compelled to write uh, in after hearing uh, William's email. That was from last week. Not William, William. Because as I am 19 from Harrogate, just north of Leeds, and struggle to get down to the bridge, a bit like William from the other week, I've also done the stadium tour, which is revelatory for me, and I religiously watch every single Chelsea game by whatever means necessary. Yes, that includes live streaming on my phone when sat in a posh restaurant with my mate. Good work. Uh, I also wanted to mention that I have a slightly different take on the Barkley penalty affair to everyone else. Aha! This is where I read it then. Uh, I admire the way he put his neck on the line because he clearly is so desperate to play for us. He doesn't accept just sitting on the bench like dr- like a drink water. He truly has the desire to succeed at this club. Uh, I think William Willian, not William, too deserves credit for his incredible work days. He's been playing out of his skin. If you've made it this far, I have a story I'd like to share. When in Harrods on my birthday earlier this year, I was privileged to meet the King himself, Didier Drogba, in the gin section. What a top man! Needless to say, I went weak at the knees and could only mumble incoherently. You'd been at the gin then, Pierre, uh, saying something idiotic like "Didier, you are my hero." I did, however, manage to grab a quick picture with him. Which, uh, uh, Pierre, says he attached. Pierre, you didn't attach it, my friend. So please send it again. I'd love to see it. Anyway, thanks I'd love again. To Keep. See too. i know well he didn't didn't yeah, attach it, we can no, describe so. it don't we, to all the listeners yeah exactly anyway uh thanks again keep it blue and all the best pierre well done great email pierre yeah that's where i nicked this thing about barclay from i forgot about that <laughs> anyway next john one marshall. jk sorry mate john marshall
3: oh jonathan and chidge bear with me while i try to explain the correlation i see between one of the most underrated bands uh, I sit, it must be. No, that produced uh, oh, uh, that produced the most overrated band member of its time um, in the late 60s, early 70s, English rock produced one of the most iconic bands of all time. And Humble Pie and their diminutive lead singer Steve Marriott, whose vocals were larger than himself, pre- produced some of rock's true classics. Also in that band was Peter Frampton, a youngster at that time who eventually left, went on and produced a best-selling double album, remember those, and then let uh, America turn him into a pop star and wither away, Yeah, but he withered away, uh, having made an enormous amount of money. Um, but, you know, good luck to him. Uh, fast forward to Christian Pulisic and the body of work he's produced thus far, slight in stature, but with his speed and passion plays above such. I believe underrated by some in England due to lack of playing time, overrated by us here due to lack of having anyone else promoted or talented like him. Without a doubt, he's America's best. We all pin our hopes on him pulling the US into a real football conversation. For me personally, I'm more concerned with what he will do for our blues. In front of him is Pedro, a true professional whose time has come. (laughs) William I like but seems to be more missed than hit of late. Hudson Adoy, a rock star in the making. Will Pulisic be his bandmate? My hope is he can overcome the American hype that I believe is hurting him, Frampton pop star, and instead be that gritty, hard-driving lead like Marriott. Ultimately, it's up to Frank. Will he let Pulisic show me the way? Oh, I see what you did there. Because the song was, I want you to show me the way every day. And he had that strange machine. Do you remember that? Um a vocoder. Leave, he, he, no, no, it wasn't a vocoder. No, no. What was, was it um, then? It was something else. It was the thing that was connected. Was it a vocoder? I, well, well, you may be right, George. Or leave Christian in humble pies 30 days in the hole. God, this is, that's so relevant, these these. These um, uh, these titles he's got in here very good. Um, time will tell. Uh, we're going to discuss the Pulisic stitch problem, Chidge. We will, we but can I've can got
0: another. It? I've got another Peter Frampton uh, gag in there. Maybe he's got Friday on his mind.
3: That wasn't Frampton, though, was it? That was um, the
0: Easy Beats. No, you're right, but Frampton did a cover of it. Did he? Wow. Yeah.
3: Great song, know. one of the great songs.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we've got, we've got, um, we've got, let me just have, have a look here. That's one one Pulisic email, okay. Uh, we've got a Tammy Abraham one. We've got uh, a brilliant random one. We've got uh, a, another random one. Uh, we've got another song. Uh, and then we've got, Ch- why, don't, why don't I read Chain's email out? Because that's Pulisic related. And then, and then we're going to do it all in one go. All right. So just remind me when we get to email seven, that I've already read it because, you know, I've got a very small brain. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to read Shane's read email, which is also about Pulisic, and then we can do it to death. All right. Chain says, this might be a bit late for the episode today, but I just wanted to offer an American perspective on Pulisic and one that isn't claiming he's being treated unfairly. For many years, he's been the boy wonder in the U.S. men's national team, hitherto youthmen or USMNT if you prefer, Uh, this kid is no longer a kid. He's a young man, and like it or not, much of the hopes of US soccer fandom are associated with his success. Let me clarify, that isn't to say that we've never had hope in our USMNT, but I think it's fair to say we've never had someone so exciting and talented to root for. So naturally, us USMNT fans get a bit overexcited about him. For context, I grew up in the US and I've been a Chelsea fan for about 15 years and I have exactly four jerseys with names on them. Two Chelsea jerseys without Pulisic's name on them and two non-Chelsea jerseys with Pulisic's name on them. I too love what he has done for allowing excitement and hope to be part, uh, a part of watching the US men's team for the next 10 years. All of that being said, he hasn't earned a starting spot at Chelsea yet and he has some quality players to contend with. I don't think Lampard is being ridiculous by not playing him. I feel confident that if he really shows his quality, he will get his chance. It might not even really kick off this season, and that's fine. I'm really, really rooting for his success, and particularly at Chelsea, but I thought you might want to hear that there are plenty of American Pulisic fans amongst the Chelsea crowd who aren't losing their minds because we're one quarter of the season gone, and he's not a regular starter for Chelsea. Best chain. Also, if, seen, if you haven't seen it, uh, Dembele or Ndombele scored and then Mott VAR with his celebration. I thought it was glorious. Yes, so did I, Shane. So, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, I I wouldn't say that John's kind of massively, you know, pro, but it's an interesting that we've got some pretty level-headed views there. Jo, uh, can I ask Joe jo first, JK, and then we'll yeah, pitch in at the end? Yeah, definitely ask Joe. I'm happy. I'll, I'll get yeah. a cup of tea. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> I I, I'm, I was worried that you might have missed out on your half-time pee because you were you know, ha- having have, a fiddle... I have. Yeah. Anyway, Joe, I mean, talk some sense about this Pulisic stuff, because it's, I mean, I, I mean I'll, I'll stick my oar in first, if you don't mind. Yeah, go
1: for
0: it, yeah. I, I, I just think there's a lot of nonsense going on about oh, it, yeah. really, which I'm just trying to ignore, because, you know, as you would imagine with me, I trust Frank Lampard to, to know whether he's ready or not, and he'll get a game time when he is. But uh, off you go.
1: I mean, I think it's, it, first thing, it's probably quite personal to point out, I think... Pulisic has played about 30 or 40 minutes less football than Willian and, and Pedro, which is less than a half of football this season. So, you know, if we're looking at, at the minutes that people are playing, it, it it doesn't really seem like there's some sort of massive discrepancy between, you know, a guy who's just coming into the team from from a different league, you know, a young player sort of learning about about the Premier League and English football, than there is for two guys who have been here for three, four, five seasons or however however long they've been here. So. You know, we're talking at the moment about the differences they've played and probably a half more than him this season, which I don't think that really is the context of what people are seem to be suggesting. And you know, this this kind of strange kind of argument that's being made that there's some sort of xenophobic agenda against Pulisic and that Lampard is is sort of pro English players. I think it's a little bit it, to me it's just a little bit peculiar. Um, you know, he he plays in a position where. I think there are expectations on him to 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 change the way that he plays defensively, and I I certainly take the point that you need game time to adapt to that. But but as I sort of illustrated with the minutes, it's not like he's not playing, you know, two three hundred minutes less than what Pedro and William have played this season. It's it's less than forty five. So, and I also think as well, you know, Lampard seems to be probably more so than managers we've had in the past. He's quite meritocratic in his team selections. You know, um. People, you know, Tamori didn't start playing until what middle middle of this sort of seven game run, and and he's played very well and he's kept the shirt. You know, he's not been dropped to the bench because he's young. He, he's a young player, and I think if Pulisic had been had been a standout, you know, player, then I think he would be be playing more. But you know, I, I look at Bernardo Silva when he played for for Guardiola in his first season. You know, I think that the the season his breakout season last year, he he played almost twice the number of minutes in, in the Premier League alone. So. You know he's played twice as much football the following season, and and sometimes it will take players time to adapt. I, I think there's a definitely an argument that, that Pulisic needs to look at his his strength aspect and his conditioning. You know to to kind of add a little bit more size to his frame. I think at the moment he's he's getting knocked about a bit in the Premier League, which is is not you know it's not to be unexpected for a, a young player who's quite slight, who obviously is more of a a speed player than a physical player. But you know the adaptation to the Premier League. It's not something that that everyone does, you know. Hits the ground running. I mean, look at look at Mohamed Salah at Chelsea. You know, he, you know, questions about whether you know Chelsea should have persisted with him. But the difference between him at Chelsea and those performances that we saw, and and the guy who scores thirty plus goals a season for Liverpool now is enormous. You know, his his adaptation meant that he had to go away for a number of years. You know, kind of learn, kind of learn his his craft in Italy, and then come back to England and be a star. So. You know, I see Pulisic in, in the same mould as, as a seller. He's he's a speed player, but he needs to be more, more for me, have more of an end product. Because the thing that I'd also say is, you know, when when I'm judging him and, and actually other people that I talk to, you know, I think some of these people have been very critical of, of people who've got strong opinions on him. A lot of us have watched him at Dortmund. They're not like some sort of esoteric team that, that nobody sees. They've got a, a prominent English player over there. They're a side that traditionally get played good football, and, and they're on the TV in the UK a lot. You know, it's... It's a team that you can watch and you can watch you watch Pulisic in the Champions League. You can watch him in the Bundesliga. So it's not like he's a complete unknown quantity that that people are just getting on because he's not played well for, for, for you know, for, or not, not that he's not played well, but he's not set the world alight in, in his time at Chelsea. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see there being this huge agenda. It seems to be a big talking point after every game. We've played, what, seven seven games this season. You know, we're not even 20% through the season yet, you know, um, in terms of the matches we're going to play. He'll he'll be involved in the Christmas period. He'll he'll be be involved heavily, sort of when when you know we need to start rotating um, the squad. But I truly truly believe, and and this isn't I don't think some sort of blind faith in Lampard. But you know he will pick players who are playing based on their form, and I, I do generally feel that that is something that that you can hang your hat on with him. So you know you, you look at Tamori, you look at Mount, you look at Abraham. You know these are young guys who've come into the side, and I think largely kind of taking their opportunities when they've had them. So. You know Pulisic. I do think Pulisic actually leads the team in assists at the moment, which is is something which maybe not a lot of people kind of know. But he's obviously having an impact on the games. But for you know for a 60 million pound player, and okay, for, I I take into you know completely into consideration that he doesn't have a say in how much he costs. But you know I, I'm expecting a little bit more than than some of the fits and starts he's had in games. But you know he needs to I think work on his game. You know take take the direction that, that's being given of him. I think the the point being made was that Pulisic needs to look at how he defends, you know, cause I think he, he leaves uh, his fullback very, very exposed at times. And at the moment, if you're going to do that, you need to be a, a 30 goal season player to sort of make that a, a justifiable part of your game. And I, at the moment, I don't think he is. So, you know, but uh, yeah, he's, he's what 21, 2021. He's got so much time ahead of him, so much time to develop. The fact that people want to rush him into the side and play him just because the, the alternatives of Pedro and William is, is baffling, you know, let, let Lampard develop him and let Jodie Morris and Joe Edwards Edwards work with him, because, you know, you're looking at most of this team now are are, are young players and they're playing there on merit. They're not playing there because they they have some affiliation with the club or they're English or, you know, that they've been coached by, by the guys before they've taken their opportunities and they've taken their chances. So listen to the coaching staff, you know, in Morris and Edwards, you've got two incredible developers of talent. Pulisic is a very, very talented player, but it's going to take time for him to adjust there. I mean, Ivanovic, probably was, has been one of our best players that we've ever signed in the past 10 years or so. One of the best right-backs, maybe the best right-back we've had at Chelsea. He didn't play for the the first six months we had him. You know, he only really became to the fore in the following season and he was built to play Premier League football. So, you know, this expectation that just because he's cost a certain amount of money and, you know, that he should be playing, I think that, that, that there needs to be a little bit more kind of patience, a little bit more faith in in, in the people that are coaching him that have proven that they can develop good players you know, and, and just sort of let him be drip fed into the team, you know, and, and as I said, just, just to sort of sum it all up, he, it's not like he's played a significantly less amount of football than the guys that he's competing with. I certainly take the point that Mason Mount is, is getting ahead of him, but he's also been one of our best players this season. So again, it's not like, you know, Mount's being pigeonholed into a role that, that Pulisic has been clearly better than him. And I think Mount is, is you know, he, 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 made, he made the penalty. He was one of the better players at Brighton. You know, he's been one of the better players this season. So, you know, a little bit of a, a calmer perspective, Give him the time to develop. And, and what people don't really need to realise is that the more that they make this a big deal with Lampard versus Pulisic and this, that, the other, it heaps an inordinate amount of pressure onto Pulisic to perform every single game. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, talking to, to American fans who have followed him. I don't think that's necessarily been his, his strength at Dortmund. When Jaden when Sancho came to the fore, you know, he very much took a step back and, and didn't really play until the latter part of that season when Sancho came, came ahead of him. So I think he needs to develop a bit mentally you know he needs to take a little bit of a look at himself, what he's doing, how he's, how he's applying himself, and, and and just just trust the the, the the kind of development process there, because you know for the first time in a very long period of time, we have a coaching staff that will commit to developing young players, and he's still a young player, so he should kind of look at what's happening around him and and realize that he will get his opportunities. But when he has them, he has to, he has to take them. you know, uh, I think the Grimsby game, I know we're going to talk about it in a bit, but you know I, I would have expected him to in completely rampant and dominant in that game. We're playing a league two team. You know, he's one of the most experienced players on the pitch. And yet, you know, if you would have said to me, point out the young player who was worth sixty million pounds, it wouldn't have been him. So, you know, he's got to start taking some of these opportunities. We say it about young players all the time, you've got to take the opportunity when it's given to you. And I think that he needs to get offer a little bit more on the pitch, but also just to just relax a little bit in the in the discussion because, you know, I, I think that the, the pressure is is not helping um, being being applied to him externally from people and, and it's just it's one of those situations that I think just needs to calm down a little bit because we've got you know, 80% of the season still to play and he's going to play a big part in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Bloody hell, mate. That was very sensible and reasoned. JK, I mean, I, I, I can't add anything to that. What about well, you? I was just thinking of the fact that he is 20
3: And uh, he's American and probably hasn't got the the, one of the the advantages of all the youth playing in the side is they've got um, uh, they've all been pals with each other for years. And you wonder whether it might be difficult for him actually making friends with them. And if he's not doing as well, uh, you hope the structure is there for him to to blossom as a personality. But if he's not getting in the side and uh, I read a quote that Frank hadn't said anything to him, he was asked during the week. And Frank wasn't explaining much to him, which I have to say I can't believe. Surely there would have been communication with him as to why he wasn't getting in the side. But whether um, uh, it's uh, it's proving difficult for him to express himself as a person, or whether he's feeling a little bit um, uh, left out, which is easily it easily occurs when you're that young, um, and whether that's an aspect of it. But uh, um, and obviously. Uh, I agree completely with Joe that he doesn't he, he, also, he, he doesn't he doesn't demand a place in the first team because he's a U, a USA star he has to fit in with the side and I think that Dave's um lack of early excellence was also down to him not tracking back um and I think Dave had to deal with a lot more and and consequently uh, um, got a great deal of, uh, of criticism for something that wasn't entirely his fault um but uh you have to just give uh, i mean joes expressed it wonderfully but you 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 know i'm just paraphrasing really you you've got to accept that 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 uh, frank is the man you know how the team wants to play and if he's not good enough at the moment he's not going to get in the side and it's mm, as sim- well, it, it's as simple as that
0: it is and uh in all i have to say on the subject really is in the words of the great psychedelic furs uh, wonderful song india I'm American, ha, ha, ha. And that's my final word on it. Uh, right, we do... I'm off to see them, actually, in about a week's time, J.K., in the roundhouse. As Brilliant I'm, I'm, if they're on, you will see them, J.J., so I can say Oh, I, I love the furs, as you know. Anyway... Uh, this is, you'll like the now. Okay, I, I actually have a recording of this song, which I will I will try and play to save poor old JK's voice. But this is from the wonderful Anton Lane. He says, Hi, fellas. I'm not sure why it took me so long to realize the endless possibilities of listening to podcasts whilst driving to work. But I'm very glad I stumbled across this podcast about a year ago. Since, as a fan base, we already have a few verses based songs in our repertoire, such as Ten Men Went to Moe and Alouette I think I've got a perfect Tammy Abraham song for us. Apologies about the standard of my voice, I can assure you. I usually sound like Frank Sinatra and Marvin Gaye had a love child. It must have been a, te- a technical issue. Keep up the good work, guys, and thanks. And I'm going to try and play it now. Uh, you know, I had awful problems with this the other week, so hopefully it'll work this time. A 1-2-1-2-3. Tommy
4: Abraham scores many goals. Scores many goals does Tammy Abraham. He is proper Chelsea, and so are we. So let's go and score a goal right foot. Tammy Abraham scores many goals. Scores many goals, does Tammy Abraham. He is proper Chelsea, and so are we. So let's go and score a goal right foot, left foot. Tammy Abraham scores many goals. Scores many goals, does Tammy Abraham. He is proper Chelsea, and so are we. So let's go score a goal right foot, left foot, off his head. Tammy Abraham scores many goals. Scores many goals, does Tammy Abraham? He's proper jealous, and so are we. So let's go score a goal right foot, left foot, off his head, off his ass. Tammy Abraham scores many goals. Scores many goals, does Tammy Abraham he is proper jealous, and so are we. So let's go score a goal, right foot, left foot, off his head, off his ass with a flick. Tammy Abraham scores many goals, scores many goals does Tammy Abraham. He is proper Chelsea, so are we. So let's go score a goal, right foot, left foot, off his head, off his arse, with a flick, with his great big, Oh, Tammy, Tammy. Sabi tabi sabi tabi Abraham. Oh, Savi Sabi. Sabi Tabi Tami Abraham
0: Now, you know what? I think that uh, that's brilliant, Anton, by the way, and I like that. It's got a bit of the aloetta about it. Uh, it leads into a nice kind of the big Tammy Abraham song that everybody sings. But I have a feeling that um uh the couch critic uh who's brilliant, uh um who I've met, Dennis uh he he's done that and Walter kind of started that off as well there's a lot of people claiming this song but I think you know Anton that's a damn fine effort I'm very sorry we couldn't share your dulcet tones with the listeners I will probably cut it in actually to avoid me making a tit of myself which would be very kind to me but there you go what do you think JK
4: I thought you did very
0: well there Chidge there you go very much I've been trained by the best and you <laughs> <laughs> the best and the worst and the distinctly average. Oh, I don't know about that. All right, this this one, this next one uh, is is brilliant, by the way. And the fact that there's some real cracking emails tonight. So uh, take it away, J.K. Phil
3: Stocks. Hi, oh, Stanford Chijinkiru. Thought I'd get in on the act but since hearing from Greg in Toowoomba, only 600 kilometres up the road in Rockhampton, a redneck town famous for beef who know absolutely zilch about soccer. Anyway, I absolutely love your podcast. Thank you very much indeed. I'm so happy I discovered it a few months ago. Look forward to hearing it every Monday. I'm a POM and have followed the Blues for 45 years. We migrated 10 years ago. My son, who is 10, was born in Liverpool, where I met my wife. He's a Chelsea fan too. I got got to him first with a brainwashing. Yeah. Anyway, we went back to the UK a couple of years ago to see my dad, who has since passed away. Went to UK twice that year. And while we were there, I thought we might watch a game. I got online weeks before and ordered tickets on StubHub. I got fleeced big style. I had to get a second mortgage. But hey, ho, I thought the boys first match at the bridge against, against Crystal Palace. Whatever. Did a bit of overtime. No worries. We got to the bridge, the shop, the cafe photos, the whole bang shoot. Got into the stadium, all good, till we saw our seats right at the back of the shed. Binoculars would have come in handy. However, we were still enjoying the experience. We were there an hour before kickoff. Saw players warming up, Stamford the Lion, more photos. Once the stands started filling up and the game started and everyone stood up, we couldn't see a thing. I looked at my boy and he was in tears. I said, I tell you what, we'll go and watch it in the bar. On the way out, a steward asked my wife if everything was okay. She said no, and then got stuck in, paid a fortune all the way from Oz, can't see a thing. The first game, boys' first game live, a right tirade. Anyway, wait there, he said, and returned two minutes later and said, Follow me. He showed me and the boy to pitch side seats directly behind the goal, a cracking view, almost within touching distance of the players. My wife went back up to hers. We were ecstatic. We lost to Palace to break our twelve-game unbeaten run. Unfortunately, but hey ho, a memorable experience. Love your show. Keep the blue flag flying high. Phil Stocks, Rockhampton, Australia. Bloody hell, what a sweet steward,
0: wasn't that? Yeah. Great? yeah. Yeah, they are. They do exist. You know, they get a bit of a tough rap, but uh, that's love. Well, that's quite quite heartwarming. Actually, I feel quite quite. Uh, yeah, fluffy. That they've done that. Uh, nice one, Phil. Next time you come over, come and see us for a beer. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, well done. I hope your son uh, enjoyed it. Uh, you you can't, you know, you always enjoy your first game. Uh, right, got another cracker from Steve. This is a. You'll love this, J.K. He says, uh, um, "Hello, gentlemen. I've been listening to your, excuse me, marvelous contributions for eighteen months or so. Listening to the kids are all right episode was a breath." of perhaps some decades-old air. I am 59, and I remember the dark days, and then the brighter days with the kids of those times. You mentioned John Bumstead. What a player. What a motor. I loved Gary Stanley with his rare, in hindsight, thunderbolts. Tommy Langley's unselfish running and occasional scoring. And, of course, my hero, Butch. Those kids were only slightly older than I, and I would go to school and spruce to our success and lament our failure. On Monday evening at 6 o'clock the big match with Brian Moore would be on and for a few years we featured as we would sometimes beat the big teams. Great performances were possible. I should point out at this moment that although I'm I'm from England, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. My grandfather watched Chelsea's first game, Stockport County, I believe. He was at World's End. My grandmother was a shrimpton of Fulham and lived in Strode Road. I also... Yes, there you go. I also recall winning the last game of the season to remain in Division 2, and then it all started to improve. Was it Clive Walker at the double? It was indeed. I too concur with so many of your contributors that last season was just depressing and embarrassing, and, well, not much future dwelling on that. This season, I'm a bullion, confident, and finding positives where last year I was not. I've rediscovered my blue, and guess what? I'm unfor- I am unfort—I am fortunate to be able to attend Chelsea West Ham on December the 1st. I've been to the bridge twice. First time on Boxing Day, 1978 versus Leicester. I think we were first and, sec- and second, Division uh, 2. Uh, Yeah, rings a bell. Jonathan will know. And Mickey Droy lumbered up the field to score from a corner to give us two points. I recall being terrified experiencing the shed and the line of horses sans police. With full, uh, from Fulham Broadway to the ground. The second time was a tour in 2011 when our guide asked all the questions and I knew all the answers. <laughs> it was great. Anyway, I'm on Twitter, at Rollo's a blue. That's R-O-L-L-O-S-A blue. And follow you lot. I believe you have a drink at the cock before the game. I would love to say hello with a couple of pints before Frank's first managerial fixture versus his old team. Cheers, Steve. JK, do you remember that Leicester match?
3: Uh, I fear I was there, yes. Yes, but whether or not... I remember Mickey Droy scoring, but um, uh, once again, no idea how it happened. I'm afraid it's disappeared in the memory banks somewhere. But uh, but yes, he had a habit of lumbering up the field to score. Good <laughs> old Mickey Droy. But um, yes, I think we were uh, we were slightly overjoyed by that. Wonderful. Mm.
0: Marvellous. Great email, Stephen. I'm line not of, following of, you already. I'll, I'll do it now. Those line of horses from the
3: show, it was very scary around there at that time. You had to be very careful.
0: It's like Beirut, Uh, mate.
3: Oh, dear. I remember being chased a few times. I don't mean C H A S T E either. Chase me. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we've got another song, JK. Really? Nigel Bird, the wonderful Nigel Bird. I'm listening to Same Old Scouse
3: as Always Stealing, and you mentioned that whenever N'Golo's name is in the starting 11, he gives you hope. So you gave me the inspiration for an alternative song for N'Golo. This is to the tune of Gimme Hope Joanna, Eddie Grant. God, I can't remember. Uh, gimme hope, N'Golo, gimme hope, N'Golo, gimme hope, N'Golo. Then he scores a goal. Is that what it was, Joanna? Was Eddie Pretty right? much. Yeah. Pretty much. It's just a chorus, no complex verses. It will be a joyous occasion to both you, yourself, and JK sing oh, this. Oh, I up.
0: have to sing it too. You do? I have to sing it too. Are you ready? Gimme Hope oh, and Gimme Hope. Hang on, hang, we hang can on. We do it together. On,
3: hang on, hang on. Count you in. We can sing it
0: together. Okay. One, two, three. Gimme Hope. Gimme Hope and Gimme Hope and Gimme Hope and Then he scores good, a goal.
3: Something like that, anyway. Okay, I hold my hands up. I've been listening to same old Scousers in bite-sized chunks, and the last segment included yet another N'Golo Kante song. We now have more more Angolo songs that you can wave a stick at. In fact, maybe not enough songs to release an album, but possibly an EP. Could this be an alternative revenue stream for Gate 17 Publishing? Oh, goodness me. Yeah, I do wish they'd to them. There are a few leaping around at the moment. It's because the gold one is too complicated for some people. That's the major problem, isn't it, Gidge? Because I like that gold.
0: Actually, yeah, that's really I like lovely. that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Now, I've I've named this next one Email of the Week. Uh, it, now, quite often, sometimes I, I just cut and paste the emails in, so it's quite random, whoever... In other words, it doesn't necessarily bear out that it is the Email of the Week, but actually... I think this is pretty good. So there you go. It's from Bob Jenkins. Uh, Dear Chidge and the gang... Uh, Great pod, but let's quickly get to the crux of this email for the sake of Uncle JK's voice. I'm Sorry, Bob, it's me reading this one. Uh, Before the introduction of VAR, the biggest complaint among fans, including those on this podcast, is how terrible the refs were. We all thought the game was too quick for them, and as a result, the amount of crucial errors they made were affecting the outcome of many games. Now the attention has turned to VAR, but doesn't it strike you guys as weird that we've simply replaced one talking point for another? If we remove VAR, we all just complain about the referees again. So what is the common denominator here? Clearly, it's the rules of the game, which aren't expressed clearly enough. I hear many different arguments against VAR on this podcast, and I'm quickly going to pick apart every one of your arguments. Oh, dear. Uh, Argument one, usually made by Uncle Chidge himself. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, VAR robs the match-going fans of the atmosphere and the euphoria of celebrating a goal. We've all seen goals scored in football pre-VAR that get celebrated only be chucked off by the late flag of the linesman. A celebrated goal being called back happened many times even before VAR was introduced. The only difference is that VAR takes slightly longer. Argument 2. Human error is part of the game, and VAR robs the game of that. Isn't the most important factor actually getting the decisions right? Most of us were complaining last season about wrong decisions. VAR, despite how clunky it is, does get many decisions right, and yet we still find a reason to complain. Oh, how I wish we had VAR during the Overbro game in 2009, instead of sitting after the game and crying about what a fast uh, referee he is and calling UA for UA for Lona on Twitter. Argument three... VAR is used inconsistently. Some calls get received while others are ignored. This, I admit, is an issue, but the solution isn't to remove VAR. The solution is just use it more consistently. The decisions that VAR review are usually right, according to the letter of the law. I blame the refs for not using VAR in more situations. For instance, there's a possible foul in the box. The supporters and players scream for VAR. VAR never gets used to check the situation and play goes on. The issue here isn't VAR, instead it's the absence of VAR. How can we blame VAR when it wasn't even called upon? We're directing our blame and anger in the wrong direction. Look at Mount's offside against Liverpool. VAR was just using the letter of the law as its as its guideline. The problem is the law stating that if a player's big toe is a millimetre ahead of the last defender, then he's offside. An archaic law which has to be rewritten. The handball law, the laws for what is a foul and even a red card, are all written in a subjective manner that changes from one interpretation of a ref to another. No other sport is this ambiguous. Let's direct our atten- attention to the correct place which are the laws of the game and not VAR. In closing, I must be objective. VAR isn't perfect. There are many areas where VAR could improve, such as speed of decisions, better way of communicating with the fans in the stadium and the ones in charge of VAR could refine the use. I strongly believe the on-field ref should be alerted if possible wrong decisions or sorry, of possible wrong decisions and he himself should have a look and make a final decision, not someone miles away who isn't in the heat of the game. I hope this email clears up the confusion, and afterwards I won't hear another word of VAR again. Or, as I would put it, uh, don't mention Zavar. No, um, Gage. Yes, yes. I'm going to, because uh, we, we've whitted on about VAR every week. Uh, Joe, we haven't heard from you on VAR. What well, I mean, what, what do you think of Bob's email? I, I have to be honest. I feel rather uh, contrite after hearing uh, that. But anyway.
1: I think he's kind of debunked his own claim with, with argument three there. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of a self-own from my perspective. Um, I mean, the, the biggest issue with VAR is is that it's used inconsistently and, and it's not something that you can really argue against. I mean, we, we saw against Liverpool, I mean, how many phases have played? You go back to check that decision, it was incorrect. Um, I, I think that the the actual governance of of what it is that they're determining just isn't clear. I mean, we were... We keep hearing this this terminology, you know, like clear and obvious decisions. But is it clear and obvious that someone's heel is offside? That that has, you know, five phases before something has happened. That that, that meant a goal, you know, would never have been scored if a referee would have noticed that. You know, it, it seems to me that that you know the interpretation is is far too subjective at the moment. You know, you, you're you're applying a an objective interpretation of the law. You know, it is a millimetre offside, therefore it is offside. That's fine. But when you when you apply it in such a kind of subjective manner it kind of loses credibility. So, you know, until you get a, a kind of opinion on, on how far you can go back, you know, what sort of uh, what sort of things it's really meant to be clearing up. Because it seems to be, I mean, I, I, you know, this this is how kind of, I suppose, irritated I was by it. I actually felt sympathy with Tottenham, you know, which is is something I never yeah, thought I would see sure. myself saying. But the, the decision that they had go against them in, was it the Leicester game? I mean, I mean, you, that didn't even look correct On the replay, so you know, and and there's all this uh, research around that actually, you know, because of the the speed of play and the camera angles, there's this kind of like 0.4 second, you know, kind of error or error, you know, margin of error that's applied there. And if it's 0.4 of a second, then a millimetre offside, that that, I don't see how that can really, really kind of stack up. So, you know, his his argument for I think actually really is is reason enough to 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 look at the you know the underlying causes of of why it's been so problematic. I think that. you know, in in other sports, they they kind of have this element of of the kind of spirit of the game. I think is a term that they use in America. Where you know, if, if something looks incorrect, you know, like Mason Mount's toe offside, fair enough. But I mean, the the advantage gained from that is is not the same as someone who is clearly you know 50 centimeters ahead of someone offside. You know, I think that, that you can make some very clear cut decisions based on 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 having a bit more of a human interpretation of VAR. And 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 that for me is is where the inconsistency at the moment it seems to be you know I, I think even on Liverpool one of Liverpool's goals I think uh, who was it Robinson was was offside you know when the ball was played to him but because it was five five, five phases before a free kick was given you know it, it was never looked at so you know I mean how how far do you go back to see that there, there was an incorrect decision how do you interpret the decisions is it literally the the you know the absolute objective technical interpretation of offside being that you're you know your ponytail can can be be something that can score a goal with therefore three strands of hair was offside i mean it seems to be we've gone from uh, you know one kind of system to something that it is it just seems to be a very kind of obtuse and and, and a, a little bit just i don't know it, it doesn't sit right for me that the way that it's being used at the moment so um know yeah, you, you can say yeah it's it's true it's accurate but it doesn't really solve the issue for me in the game, which was to get the obvious decisions that were being given wrong. So someone is very clearly offside overturning that rather than looking at a millimeter precision of someone's toe, and someone's knee. And I think that that, that spirit of the game kind of mentality that would be useful. I think that would also give, give fans a bit more comfort knowing that, okay, yeah, you know, his, his knee was offside. But I mean, I mean, what is the advantage really for, for that three phases before someone has actually scored a goal? So I think it needs a lot of work, um, no, I've got no issue with the technology at all. I just think the application at the moment is is actually causing a lot more headaches than it's solving. And, you know, uh, you look at, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm sadly someone who follows rugby pretty closely, but, you know, you're looking at, at tries and, and there are very kind of clear guidelines on, on what, what you're being told to look for um, when, when they have video decisions, you know, and it's a very kind of clear, clear, clear cut case in most cases.
3: Also that the hierarchy in rugby is completely different in that the The linesmen, the touch judges, have equal say to the referee. They're not minions, which is how they are in football. And also, the TMO can actually overrule the referee. He has bigger status and is also in direct contact. And the audience, the public, the crowd all hear it. And as a consequence, it's it's fabulous. It's fabulous. But it's all to do with status because the... The uh, on-field on on referee um, uh, bows down to the opinion of the television referee because he has better angles and better shots. There is no side to it. There, he isn't saying there is no ego to it. And unfortunately, football has got too much ego and they don't wish to show their mates as having made an error. And that is so, and also yeah. the fact that the linesmen are so low down in the mix. I speak from experience here. Yeah, that, well, having run the line a few times, I was treated appallingly. But it freezes down to gra- grassroots level, and it makes no progress going higher up. They treat them just as minions most of the time. It's offside or balling and out of play, and that's it. And they don't want them to make decisions about on-field um, misdemeanors. Whereas in rugby. They're there as an equal. They immediately point out to the referee so and so punch, so and so so and so. The ball was offside. That was bo- that was a foul, and that is then checked by the TMO. So it's a completely different um, uh, state status status led environment in rugby. And uh, and I have to say that I agree completely with what other um, you say that he contradicted himself. But I don't think Bob that we've actually on the show been all completely uh, in agreement about it i think that, that particularly alex who had at uh, first hand could see the egos that were going on at stockley park already they are so not keen on undermining their mates and they've, put, they've got to get rid of this and act as a proper team uh, and, and also i suppose the difference is the difficulty for them is they're trying to do every single premier league game from one studio whereas with the rugby you've got an outside broadcast van doing it with one, with one referee, so, and he's just relying on, the, on the, the cameras. So it's actually a different scenario um, in rugby, and it's more specific, and you're dealing with one particular guy who um, is who is given, given his head. Uh, so uh, I, I think it'll never happen like rugby, and it'll never work properly because of the referees themselves and what is going on in, the, in their relations with the other referees. That's my view.
0: Okay, well, as I've vowed, I am not going to mention Zavar again. (laughs) So there you go. But Brilliant Joe and uh, JK, I mean, there's nothing I can add to that. They're far cleverer than I am. And Bob, I feel suitably chastised and contrite. Uh, Right, last email, JK. The honour is yours. David Debras.
3: Hi, Jonathan. I really enjoy listening to you on the Chelsea and the Chelsea Fancast. Oh, thank you. Please do me the honour, read out my post which you liked on. chelsea through the lens good stuff uh, um chelsea through the lens is a very interesting uh, facebook um page by the way which has uh very, very different views and is entertaining and uh, uh interesting as a consequence and that's why i'm fond of it um uh some people are occasionally extremely out of order but nonetheless you accept that that's what you get from chelsea fans and football fans um but it's uh it's good it's it's uh it's it's a good exchange of views, and I, I, I'm fond of it. I'm also fond of um, the bov on Facebook, which is uh, another very good um, very good uh, Facebook uh, environment um, for discussion. <coughs> anyway, here we go. Um, uh, here's the thread to save you searching for it. Thanks in advance, mate. Keep up the great work, Dave. Thank you. I don't give a damn if we win a trophy or not. But watching Lamar giving so many kids so much game time and then performing this way is a trophy in itself in my eyes. This could be the beginning of a golden generation we are witnessing here right now. This could well be a team to go on and dominate for many years, like the Beckham, Scholes, Giggs, Neville's Manure boys did for Manure. Billy Gilmore seriously looks the real deal. Just gutted he's Scottish. I'm so excited about our future watching this. I think our average age last night with the team ending the match was about 20 years and most of that was pushed up by with Willie C in goal. Trusting so many kids from the first minute and then bringing even more kids into the fold throughout this spectacle is, extre- is an extremely brave move by Lampard and I believe he has genuine trust in these kids and last night it severely paid dividends. Lampard gets us as fans and understands the club better than anyone else.
0: Oh, I'll carry on. on abs- without- oh, no, you, 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 can you pick it up from thank fuck?
3: Yeah. Um, uh, thank fuck for the transfer embargo, because without it, I don't believe Lamps would have got the job. He'd have been under far more pressure to achieve from the off. Number three, even if he had got the job, he would have been told to go and buy this mercenary, go and buy that mercenary. And before you know it, the kids would all be back on loan to Vitesse, etc., This transfer ban could potentially be the biggest blessing in disguise in our entire history, unfolding before our eyes, because I don't think lamps would have been given the time
0: to bring these good email. Brilliant email. Brilliant email. Uh, Dave's been listening to this show, God, since we started. How lovely to hear from you, mate. I used to, to have communications with you on Facebook a while ago. I'm not very good at Facebook, Dave, kind of you know find it all a bit difficult anyway there you go um wow what an astonishing array of opinions and ideas and songs and just lovely stuff from the emails this week really enjoyed that we love getting them from you as you know um we'll always try and read them out so if you do want to send us an email send it to chelsea fancast at com. please by monday morning at the absolute latest otherwise you put me under enormous pressure uh, and, as I keep saying every week, uh, Dean Mears thinks it would be a great idea if we put them all up as blogs on the website uh, so if you send them in uh, i, I I'm, unless you tell me not to publish them, then I will at some stage publish them so it's it, they, they, you now know you have been you have been warned uh, right part four 's coming up, which is a quick look back at the Caribbean Cup against Grimsby Town and a look ahead to Wednesday night 's Champions League match against Lille. we 'll see you in a sec.
4: Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea
0: Football Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. A very long episode tonight. Uh, I can't think why, but there you go. Anyway, uh, we've got Joe Tweedy and we've got Jonathan Kidd in the house. Uh, we're now going to have a quick look ahead uh, to the Lille game and uh, look back to the Grimsby Town match from the Caribou Cup from last week. First things first, Joe. Um, the youth got their chance and they impressed. But what was really interesting for me was that some of the youth, that some idiots like me know very little about, but geniuses like you know lots about, were really, really impressive. And they were Matson and Angerin.
1: Yeah, so Chelsea at the moment um, have some sort of factory going on for creating like Ruben Notters-Cheek sort of clones in terms of players because, uh, you know, Tino Andrin is, is someone that I've, I've known about for maybe two, maybe three seasons, I'd say, talking to, to people who, who really are into their academy football. And, you know, just from a, a physical standpoint, you know, he's 6'1", 6'2", 17 years old. Has that lovely kind of balance to his play. I mean, he he actually moves a lot like Ruben does. You know that kind of upright dribbling, really kind of, almost uh, kind of laconic sort of style as he kind of moves the ball around. But you know, I think probably this season he's likely to be the the captain in the FA Youth Cup, so I think he'll get a little bit more uh, exposure. But uh, you know, you've got him, and then there's another guy in the in the 16s or, or 17s, I should say now, called Miles Park Harris, who also is just another just physical specimen who is wonderfully technically gifted as well. So we've kind of got this sort of little conveyor belt of producing really physically impressive players who've got incredible technique. But I think Andrew in particular is is one that I have very, very high hopes for because, you know, it's not often you, you bring a 17 year old and he looks to be one of the most physically impressive players on the pitch, but you know, he had some really nice moments. He was unlucky not to score. You know, I think he, he had involvement in, in Batsuwai's uh, was it last goal? Um, and again, you know, just just a very very impressive debut. And, and Matson is the same. You know, I think a lot of people will, will maybe be be familiar with with Juan Castillo, who's gone on loan to Ajax. I think the reason Chelsea were comfortable in inserting a uh, kind of a, a buy clause in there for Ajax is because they they rate Matson as a as a higher prospect. And you know, for someone who has seen uh, Castillo go on and become potentially a very very you know impressive left I, I think potentially. If his career continues on the same trajectory, he could be the, the Dutch left back within a few seasons. But Matson has a little bit more about him, in my in my opinion, he's as a left. So quick, Joe. So, He's So just unbelievably quick, great, great distribution. Yeah, um, you know, he's just he's just really. And again, you know, I mean, when was the last time Chelsea played two 17-year-olds in a in an actual game that oh, meant something? Phenomenal, it's phenomenal. Great I have to say, was great. Probably 19, I thought 19, I had a great 63. game. 1963, yeah. I think, Joe. That would be the last time. Yeah, you know, like I mean, certainly, no, I mean, nowhere near having this sort of uh, kind of age um, in in any of kind of the, well, probably in the Premier League era, probably maybe even the 80s, you know, but um, it's, it's I think, just a sign of the times, you know, these kids, if they're good enough, they get it, they're going to get an opportunity. And I think, you know, that was the, my one biggest criticism of the past is I think we've, we've had some very talented kids, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're not getting debuts at 17. They're not being, you know i mean starting you know mark grehe you know is is a really really impressive kid in terms of the center back i would never honestly would never imagine that he would ever start a game for chelsea this young um Gilmour, i thought looked fantastic so but but the, the point being i think you know what you've said there is they they look to actually take their chance so you know i think lampard morris you know edwards will give them opportunities but you know he's he's being meritocratic about it you know if they play well then i think they'll, they'll get more chances but it, it was a really nice moment for people that have, have like, you know, people know that I'm incredibly vocal about the academy and often get into arguments about people about how good the players are. But I think we're now seeing this season, not just the guys who are actually sort of establishing, establishing themselves as first team players, but you know, there's an awful lot of t- talent in that academy at the moment. And we're, we're looking at two guys who have played, who are, in, who are in the under 18s, you know, the under 17s team has got some absolutely unbelievable players in it. Same as the 16s. So, this convey belt that that, that uh, Neil Barth has created and, and and seems to be going from strength to strength. You know, it, it hopefully if Lampard is here and sets the foundation, we could just have a, a massive amount of talent coming through. And you know, everyone everyone seems to be on board with having this sort of young English core. So for me, it, it's it's fantastic to see. And and obviously, you know, I, I do have a massive academy bias. I'm the first to admit that, but it was just nice to see some of the uh, some of the really really younger guys getting on and getting some some serious minutes. Mm. What I love, sorry,
0: J.K. I just
3: say what I love was the fact which you pointed out, Joe, is that they took their chance. Mm. How many times have you seen young players come in and been out of out out of their depth in the first team? It was it was so refreshing and so it was a joyous experience. I found seeing them be so good. I know it was only Grimsby. But my goodness, they looked so relaxed. And I've seen players come in from the youth who, if they were playing against equally um, low-down teams, and just not not be any good or not look confident. Yeah,
1: I agree. And, yeah, I think that comes from was time.
3: just uh, yeah, absolutely. And it and it was joyous. And it, and unfortunately, um, we were saying earlier, Pulisic had the opportunity and didn't do it. And yeah. uh, and you've got all these these. Only three years younger, two years younger players, looking absolutely in charge. It was. I have to say that uh, Matson reminded me of Cole and made yeah. me realise yes. how how we've missed the speed of Cole, who he makes you realise why he was so great at making challenges as well yeah. as being having all the skills because he his pace was phenomenal. He got back. He yeah. intimidated player, by uh, and Messi or even Ronaldo by being on top of them all the time because he was so swift. Matson. Immediately, I went. God, that's exactly it. So it was a. It was. It was. I found
1: it a very joyous experience. And we haven't even mentioned Rhys James. So I think you know a lot of people last season oh, were just so yeah. impressive. McWiggan, and it was nice to see him come in and actually show show what he can offer. I mean, his crossing for for the the Zuma goal was was yeah. insane. But his delivery, his ability on the ball, and just that size and that pace at right back again. I'm I'm with you, with J.K. I, I think we've missed having. Real, real pace in that back four, and particularly now you've got Tamori, Zuma, yes, Rudiger. Yes. You've got Matson coming in. You've got Reece James. You've all of a sudden you've got a very strong and quick back four. You can play higher up the pitch. You can be more aggressive. It, it's it's a really really interesting time. Very. What very... about
0: Gehi? What
1: about Gahey? How did he do? Really well, I think. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he yeah. I think he showed a little bit of inexperience with the goal. Um, he he allowed himself to get pinned by a, a quite a big physical centre back. But I think after that, you know, you're talking about his his like his professional debut against quite a big physical experienced centre-forward. But after that, I think he was pretty good. Seems to be very much in the mould of, of Chelsea centre-backs that come through the academy. You know, we can all focus on, on how much of a great athlete he is, but very comfortable on the ball. Seems to be very intelligent, you know, with how he positions himself. And I think once he kind of got into the, the sort of the mix of things and realised, you know, OK, this, I'm not playing against someone who is a bit more physical than I am at this point in my career. Once he kind of figured that out, he was very impressive, I think, and actually actually was one of the better players on the pitch.
0: Mm, Good stuff and uh, we've got Man United in the next round so here's the interesting question do you think we'll field a similarly young side or will they go for a strong side
1: I think I think it'll be a little bit more a little bit more experienced but only a little bit more I think Gilmore probably still will start I think potentially um, maybe you know Rhys James starts I think that there's there's a shout for some of the younger players Callum you know to start etc but I think It'll probably be a little bit more experienced. Um but I mean it also depends on, on the approach that United will take. I mean, I know that they played quite a few youngish players um in their game. And if we if we line up with similar kind of age size, I think we'll we'll probably comfortably quite you know, we'll probably beat them quite comfortably. So um it just depends how, how seriously that we want to take it. Well,
0: there's an easy way to get around that, which is to start with a you know, a young side and have some experience yeah. on the bench. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's all they have to do. It's not rocket science. Uh, All very exciting. I mean, it really is just so brilliant to see this happening. Joe Joe must be absolutely wetting his pants with excitement about what's going on at the moment. You don't have to answer that, Joe. A little bit, yeah. Right. (laughs) A little bit of we is coming out. (laughs) Um, Right. Uh, Talking about a little bit of we, there'll be lots of we uh, on Wednesday because, of course, we are going to be en français at Lille. Uh, And uh, do you know what? I didn't realise this, that we'd never played Lille before, but there you go. you know, obviously, the it's an interesting group. This the Champions League group uh, with Ajax and Valencia in it. Obviously, we didn't do ourselves any favours really by getting kind of mugged off by Valencia. I think in the first game, Ajax, on the other hand, you know, quite easily beat Lille three nil. Um, what what caught my eye about Lille, gents? Um, they're third in the uh, in League One at the moment, uh, behind uh, Angers and PSG. Uh, they've won. Won, they've won three, drawn one, lost one. So they're a bit up and down. The squad is what interested me. They've got Jose Font as their vice-captain. He used to play for Southampton, of course. Uh, they've got Renato Sanchez. He used to play for Swindon. Uh, but in, interestingly, they've got Loic Remy. Who who he? Remember Loic Remy? Well, he ended up there. And uh, even more uh, bizarrely, they've got Timothy Weyer, who is uh, George Weyer, a Chelsea legend, of course, and now president of Liberia. They've got his son playing for them. So, what an interesting side! Here's the question, though, Joe: Is this a must-win match?
1: I think so. Yeah, um, I think if we if we have ambitions of of you know kind of coming out of this group, and I, I still think potentially that you know first place isn't completely out of reach, but I think we need to we need to win. I think Leo were probably the weakest side in the in the group. Yeah. Um, you know, So I do think that this is a game that we, we need to win. Um, I spoke a bit with, with Seb, everyone will know French Seb, Sebastian uh, Chapuy, about Lille today, just to sort of get his views on them. And he, he said that they've got a pretty decent striker. Their coach is good, probably will play a four-two-three-one or or 433 um, 3 3 They've got a Nigerian lad up front who apparently is, uh, I think he's got eight goals this season or, or something like that. So he's actually pretty decent. Um, and uh, who, what else is he saying? They've, they've basically got a, a few forwards who have got a, got a bit of pace about them. So, um, potentially that they'll they'll probably play on the counter-attack against us. So I think we need to be a little bit aware of, of defending in transitions. But I think overall, I mean, looking, looking at their squad and looking at how Ajax dealt with them, if we've got any sort of real ambitions in this tournament this season, I think we need to be going there and, and winning. And, and maybe, you know, not not going for the sort of full gung-ho pressing approach, having a little bit more of a European flavour to how we play. But, you know, I think we're more than capable of going there and winning. And I think at the moment, if we, as I said, if we have ambitions in this competition this season, um, then I think we do need to go there and secure secure three points.
0: Mm, well, let's hope they play Loic Remy and not Victor Osimen, who is the uh, Nigerian forward yes. of whom you speak. Um, JK, um, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because this is the thing that worries me about us in the Champions League. And it, it's not just the... I don't think it's necessarily to do with the inexperience in the team, although clearly there is some. I think it's more to do with the... managerial inexperience. Now, I know Frank's played, you know, more Champions League games than God, but, you know, he's managed very few of them. And I I thought that that was the real telling factor against Valencia, who who looked quite ordinary, really. And let's face it, we should have got something out of that game had Barkley not, you know, blasted the penalty over the bar. Um, I mean, how important do you think the Champions League is for this season? I mean, I know you said we could go quite deep. And I, I, I happen to believe that, I don't think we're going to win it, clearly. I don't think we will go that deep. But I think it's important that we go as deep as we can because I think the deeper that they go, the more both the management team and the players will learn from it. And
3: also the club will get more money, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. There not is that not yeah. The one cares that much with the, with the benefactor that we have. But it, it, um, I think the business plan is more uh, effective. Um, I think it's good for the for the the more success that Frank has, the more people will get behind him, the more relaxed they'll be. What we don't want is is the team having a a couple of uh, losses and uh, and we then sort of be- go mid-table mediocrity in the Premier League. So I think it's good to have every competition being um, uh, embraced as much as we possibly can. And there's also, we don't know what's going to be happening with the with the transfer ban if it happened to be lifted. Um, in December, January, whenever it would be, we might then be able to by a couple of decent players, so and we've got masses of decent players. I'm sorry, that's not what I'm saying. A couple, yeah, but you are not, we're not going to get too many good ones. No, no because we're not. Because
0: they're going to be, you know, the good ones will all no, be Champions you, League you Cup time, won't they? He, he might get one, you
3: don't know. He might, he, he might have somebody, um, that it lined up, you don't know what the situation is. He may have somebody, or they may feel that they need extra firepower or something up front, and they've got the, the money to get it. This is if they've got through the group stage, of course. I think if they're in the Europa League, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, uh, so beating Leal is uh, is um, essential, um, uh, and uh, I think he'll play uh, the the best team he can. Um, mind you, we were talking about Manu for that for the League Cup. Of course, you play the best team he can. I think he'll try and play Kante if he can, uh, it, it, even if he doesn't play at the weekend, just because it, it it's it's a very it's a very very, very important game. I I, I think it's um, essential on the learning curve as well for the team and him. Um, as you say, despite him being a player of great experience, um, uh, he needs to get as much experience as he can of playing in Europe because it it adds being a manager in Europe as it adds uh, an extra um piece of knowledge for him, um, and also sees how some of the players, some of the youth, will deal with playing in Europe. I thought that that Tammy um, was was in Gabriel's pocket in the Valencia game, which we hadn't experienced before because Tammy had been. Uh, even in the game at the weekend he got into a very good shooting position so we didn't see that at all in the valencia game he was um uh he was well well marked he was well scrubbed out of contention um, and they played that that usual uh, um trying to play for a draw as much as possible and falling over and wasting time and uh, I didn't think we cope with it very well so um uh. yeah it's it's from an experience point of view it's essential that i think we try and keep playing at the highest levels we possibly can but also we need to it, for the confidence it'll be great if we start winning a few of them if we get through the group stage you never you never know what could could happen
0: yeah i mean and i really do think we should get through the group stage um i mean i think i think a lot of it will will depend on who valencia lose to i don't think they are a good side actually i i think they got really quite lucky beating us and that's really not helped but uh I do think uh, I think Ajax would probably the, be the best side in the group. Of course, we haven't played them yet, so we don't know. But uh, it's going to be a tight group. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, Joe, uh, how do you see it going, mate? How, kind of give, give me a little bit of a prediction.
1: I think if if we take a little bit more of a, a sensible approach or more of a European approach, you know, I think we're we're still a team who are incredibly good at playing on the counter, and and, and obviously we've not really had a, a problem creating chances this season. I think if we if we adopt that mentality, I mean, a two-one or, or maybe a one-nil or two-nil victory for us. Um, but yeah, I think it, it will it will be down to the the style of play. If we go there and it'll be gung ho, um, from what I've I've been told about Lille, they're, they're a pretty good side on the counter and they have a lot of pace up front and they've got a lot of good finishes. So, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where we've got this this massive chasm of space between all the different units and and Lille kind of pick us off a little bit like a smash and grab like Valencia. So.
0: You know, be more
1: sensible, and I think we can win two nil, two one. Okay, JK. Uh, I think we'll win two one.
0: Mm, okay, I, I have really no idea. I think it's just so unknown territory for us. Uh, but as ever, my heart will rule my, rule my head, and I shall also go for two one to the Chels. So let's hope so. I shall be, uh, I shall be watching it at home in the comfort of my living room with my wife by my side, who will be shouting at the TV more than me as I've now discovered, because of course now she's moved back to Winchester, I get to watch the football with her, or more to the point, she gets to watch it with me, which is quite a salutary experience. My my wife, for those of you who don't know, is third-generation Chelsea, uh, so even though she tells me she hates me going to the football, she loves it really. And and as I said, she shouts the most insane things at the TV. She makes me look mild in comparison. So there you go. So I'm up for an entertaining evening on uh, Wednesday, whatever happens, and let's hope Chelsea win. Right, you lovely people. That, I'm afraid, is all we've got time for this week. Uh, We'll be back next Monday at the usual time. Uh, I will be joined by Jonathan Kidd and a mystery guest. Uh, I say that because I haven't done the schedule yet, but I'll get on the case soon and uh, we'll, we'll find out next week who it is. Uh, we'll be looking back at the matches against Lille, of course, and Southampton. I shall be at Southampton away, uh, one of my rare forays away from Stamford Bridge. I'm thoroughly looking forward to that. Uh, so there you go. It's only down the road from me, so I've got no excuses. Now, in the meantime, don't forget to tune in to the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio. Between 7 o'clock and 8pm this Friday, Jonathan and myself are in the hot seat uh, and we will be discussing all things Chelsea, reviewing the match against Lille in particular and we'll be previewing the match against Southampton. So do come and join us. Uh, you can phone up if you want, debate with us live. The number to call is 0208 70 20 and Love Sport is now a national radio station and it's broadcast on your DAB channels along with numerous other digital channels. And you can also listen to it through Radio Player, tune in or lovesportradio.com. It's also available as a podcast shortly afterwards, as are all our shows on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify and Lesser podcast distributors. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Fancast, me at Stanford Jonathan at Kidd, Joe at Joe Tweedy and of course... Check out the website, ChelseaFanCast.com. Many thanks to the Chelsea FanCast bloggers for their regular content going up during the week. And uh, they are on Twitter at Nick Stroudley, at Clitheroe Blue, at Dean Mears, at CFCGWLB. And of course, the other mob who do the fancast with us regularly are at Gate17Marco, at Goalie59, at GrosserJackUK, at Dansilves73, at CFCGWLB. And when I can track the buggers down at Liam underscore Toomey and at OJ Harbord, who are two fine journalists, uh, and uh, you two, uh, reprobates are very fine Chelsea fancasters. And I'm very honoured and privileged that you've been on the show for as long as we have tonight. It's been an absolute humdinger, Joe. Brilliant. And thank you for stepping at the last minute. You're an absolute superstar, well, mate. Done, thank Joe. you. Well
1: done. i well, me. enjoyed it, yeah.
0: Yeah, brilliant stuff, mate. You take care. Next time you're coming over the pond, let me know. We'll have a beer. Yeah, uh,
1: next time I come over, I mean, it was a little bit of a whistle-stop tour this weekend, but I'll try and actually get over maybe, you know, not Friday night and, and try to get to the game more than 10 minutes before kickoff. So, <laughs> but yeah,
0: yeah, i know. I'll sort it out next time, yet. yeah. Lovely. All right, mate. Look forward to that. Be great to see you and have a good catch-up. JK, as ever, lovely to see you and I'll see you on Freedy Neat.
3: Excellent. Look forward to it, George. Fine show. Well done. Fantastic Joe, yeah. as, all, fantastic Joe as always great stuff
0: great stuff all right thank you lot uh in mixler particular you've been brilliant tonight long suffering i'd say i mean you have dwindled it has to be said you've dwindled in your numbers but the hardcore are still there and i love you all for it so thank you for listening see you next time until then keep it blue keep it carefree, keep it chelsea up the chills <laughs>